Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ben Griffin Podcast, episode two. Today, I get to bring in my friend, Jack, who, among the many things that he studies, it's probably easier he just explains that to you once we get started here. But today, we're going to be talking about dieting and nutrition and possibly how it can be done differently, along with some social and communication topics that were thrown in at the end, just out of spur of conversation. Jack, to me, is a friend that I've known for a little over a year. He's one of my closest friends here on campus, as well as one of the guys that I personally try to compete with in education. I'm really excited to have him. I really enjoyed this podcast. I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Thanks for stopping by. Enjoy. Jack. Badass motherfucker, welcome to the show, man. Hey, cheers, man. <laughs> cheers to you. Thanks for coming out tonight. Yeah, thanks for coming out here. <laughs> oh, yeah. No Getting kid. all set up in the apartment. Yeah, I walked over here. I looked like a hunchback or some shit because my hoodie and my backpack blend together. You look so, like you're off to rob a convenience store. It doesn't help that I look like a terrorist. <laughs> oh, my God. It, really, it doesn't. You, you know, don't have that much facial hair. I probably look more I like could. a terrorist right now than you do. That, that is true. Yeah. If the Pringles yeah. man wanted to kill I'll, some I'll kids. refrain from uh, screaming out Alo Akbar <laughs> at any given point throughout this podcast. How's that? There's no contracts here. <laughs> oh, all right. You know, I'll just we'll put that out there. But No, man. We, we got dicey on uh, the last show because it's the first one. You don't know where the territory is and this going up. I don't even know where a lot of things will end up being posted because some things will probably get posted before others due right. to editing. Right. So it's like, is it going to go to SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts? Right. It's, not all, it's not all sequential. Who's to say that this will be the next podcast posted or yeah. what and your I don't know what content calendar is. looks like. Oh, don't yeah. even start. <laughs> don't start. My content calendar is a piece of shit. Yeah. It's <laughs> well, yeah, you got me on it, so it must be pretty desperate at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Things are not good in the cipher office. Oh, <laughs> kidding. Ooh. Well, we got I'm a little kidding. little crisp white wine here to help us out. Yeah. I think uh, I think it'll do us some good. Oh, dude, I I need a drink after this week. This week has been a rough week. Not gonna lie, people being weird, grades coming back horribly. Oh, the yeah. grind. The grind is real. The grind is set in. It's funny because senior year is supposed to be like, yo, let's go party it up. Yeah. Let's uh, let's head to the party house. Let's let's do this, that, and the other thing. And I feel like I'm here on the weekends doing research and writing all this shit down 90% <laughs> of the time. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, I wonder what it would actually have been like to uh, have a classic college, uh, you know, experience. I granted, don't. Granted, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> being very dramatic. Obviously, we still have a great time and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it well, is just interesting how there is a frame of reference for what college is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. And you just take on different modalities of that with, uh, you know, the different responsibilities, the different involvements, your own personality. I mean, I I find sometimes, especially, you know, when I was a a freshman Mm -hmm. and sophomore in college, that it was so let's go out and party all the time. Like let's, let's go into town. Like, let's just get, I don't know, fucked up around every corner. Yeah. And it's like, once I actually turned 21 and that, that taboo nature of drinking kind of, withdrew itself it was like ah i feel like i'm in a much more level-headed place with all this it's funny and then i still just get absolutely wasted some (laughs) night (laughs) i told him i for those that are listening i've known jack for a little over a year now but he's like can we can we yeah i know poor you um (laughs) (laughs) but i poor you last year honestly no i'm just kidding (laughs) 
I didn't drink last ben, year. Ben, uh, we got introduced, and I, I don't mean to steal the thunder. No, go right ahead, going on here, I but need wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, my good friend from high school was unhappy at his original college, um, which we'll refrain from entitling in this moment. Oh, it's fine. All right, St. Olive College, uh, <laughs> Southern Minnesota. Um, and we're up here at St. John's University up in Central Minnesota. I tried to cover that in the first yeah. podcast. So maybe they like, got some background information. Well, what, No, what I did is I was like, I don't know who's listening to this. So I was like, you know, my name, <laughs> you worry about names, you worry about location. So I was like, I'm now at the school that I'm at. And 15 minutes later, Isaiah goes, here at St. John's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess the ambiguity is I guess we're there. You know? I mean, it makes it more personal. I think it's fine. Yeah. Um, well, it's the school. And, you know, you can come find me and talk to me. I'm happy to talk to whoever wants to come on the show and be a part of it. I'm yeah. more than happy to talk to people. I love people. It's the reason I did the show. Well, that's so, where you and me differ because I hate people. Um, yeah. I, I tend to pick like three and then hate them <laughs> mutually. Um, no. <laughs> Anyways, to digress, yeah. um, uh, Dan wasn't, our other friend Dan wasn't happy at his original school. It just didn't, the environment wasn't fitting him. I, I feel like most people in college right now um, that are not of a far left perspective probably get what I'm talking about. You know, there's yeah. a, there's a bit of a, a liberal arts left center um, idea going around most college well, campuses even, today. Even more basic than that, I would argue, is that there's a pressure to be in a group think. And even yes. if you're not political... Very tribal. Yeah, very, very tribal That's right now. And going around right now. It used to be cliques, but cliques revolve around a smaller group. I would say now cliques, more than cliques, ever. Cliques detail some sort of level of exclusivity, though. And while tribalism, I think, can do the same thing, I think uh, that cliques are meant to be like my inner circle or group. Mm-hmm. But like tribalism almost details it something bigger. Like click is like I think of I think click, of like yeah. Mean Girls. I don't know. Yeah. Like <laughs> no, I I look at clicks and I say that is a selected group. It will never grow. Okay. And when I look at a tribe, I think of an absorb like those. You know those games you see on like YouTube, those crappy commercials where it's like absorb this amount of space with your you know like Snake. Remember the game Snake? You pick up stuff and you gather an area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think of tribalism as a conquer type of idealism yeah where you go out into the world with your set of group and you try to add people well, and if they don't agree with you you steamroll them yes and that's how i've always kind you're of you're canceled it. yeah you're done clicks don't look you're done you. <laughs> you're done you're done you are off the apprentice you're off the apprentice you're <laughs> but, fired oh. get out of here oh i i was reading an article Daddy about the Trump, apprentice. is that you I don't even want to say it. No, it's there. Ivanka. Oh, God. <laughs> Jared? Jared? <laughs> Jared? Best Buy? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh. um, no, no, I, no, I agree with you. And I think what I was getting at is like tribalism, I definitely agree with that steamrolled kind of canceled mentality. And I think that's the distinguishing quality for myself when I look at it is that clicks are more based around like group think, as you were putting it earlier. Um, whereas um, tribalism can get a little bit more centered around like virtue signaling and a little bit more amped on the idea of, you know, I don't agree with you, but it has nothing to do with just a difference in opinion. It is literally a difference in morality. And then you start delving deep into this whole entire thing about how tribalism starts to institute some sort of label on you as if you're a bad person for not believing what they believe. And it's like, no, 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 you just happen to think differently about an issue. We yeah. have different goals. We have different thought processes. This Just real quick, too. Yeah. Do you even... Because it was interesting you mentioned morality. Do you even think they're 
is the morality around it? Or do you think it's just a bunch of virtue signaling that's being carried over to look like morality? Say that I stand up and I say, you know, I want to fight for, let's just pick a, a really easy topic, um, women's rights. Sure. Let's talk about more women's rights. Great thing. Great thing. We should have more women in the yeah. workplace and blah, blah, blah. But if I'm virtue signaling and I'm putting all that energy out there saying I want to help somebody by saying it, is that really my morals acting, or is that my group think right. putting the pressure on no, me? No, exactly. And we were talking a little bit about that briefly earlier, about that whole entire concept of like, you know, I think 99% of like, excuse me, intelligible people are going to agree that equal rights is just a given. Yeah. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're young enough where we never saw the, the day of light where no. that wasn't a reality. So for us, it's just second nature. It's like, whatever. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah. So for the older generation, I can understand how that could still be sometimes contentious points. Um, in just like how those aspects are looked at, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of stay at home mom being an expectation type deal. But from my perspective, when we're arguing about this on like a college campus, it, it all comes off so ingenuine to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that I can just nail it on the head. Like, yeah, you're being ingenuine because you're virtue signaling right now. Yeah. Like we all believe this dude, but it's because nobody's talking about it, that they feel the need to in some way assert their opinion over the noise that's going on around them in order to make themselves feel more confident in order yeah. to make themselves feel more important. Well, like, it it almost know, looks like just, they're getting a medal. A lot of times, <laughs> I, I compare it. I told my brother participation award. Yeah, and it's. I it said is it. Sad. I said it. Where's my medal? <laughs> I want it. I want it right now. I'm gonna put it on my letter jacket that I still wear in college because I need people to know that I'm an overachiever. That's how I feel about it. I'm glad you could be honest. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick tangent that I think is the funniest thing in the world. Go ahead. So for the listeners in, I am a cancer survivor which is kind of my, my fun little my nitpick, you know, here. Yeah, for and people that don't know, we all got a little something. Jack is our cancer patient, yep. and you'll hear us make fun of him for it, so please no, don't judge. No, and I appreciate we it. We love him dearly, but he is well, our little cancer Again, boy. I hate everybody mutually. I think that's kind of how I've – and anyways. I really <laughs> don't know how we work together in a lot of situations. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still figuring Dark it out. Dark sense of humor. Um, that is true. Oh, yeah. So don't go there. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor. Um and uh, our good friend Dan that we, we mentioned earlier, uh, the first time me and Dan ever hung out was in high school. And he comes into my home, and I'm showing him around. And there's this small trophy on a shelf. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely, like, given out, you know, as a kid. Like, it's a sh- pretty shitty-looking trophy. It's nothing official. But he takes one look at it, and it says, number one for bravery. And he goes, <laughs> what is that, some sort of participation trophy? And I go, no, that's for beating cancer. So if that doesn't forge, you know, a, a massive, you know, <laughs> lifelong friendship right there, I don't, I don't know what's been going on the last couple of years. But oh my yeah. God, <laughs> I know that story. That, that's, that is one of my favorite stories to tell because he still gets kind of red in the face about it because it's so funny. Because, you know, he doesn't know me well. We're walking on eggshells trying to get to know each other. Yeah. It's like the first play date. And you're just kind of like, hi, I'm Jack. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you got to make like, a move. But honestly, point. that was like the perfect way to cut through the bullshit and just yeah. be like, dude, I'm we're well, fine. You need that. Yeah. You really do need so I think that. We were studying for like a math test or something. We were doing something stupid. It's, it's funny. I gave my friend uh, Sarah. I love her to death. She's the polar opposite of me, but I love her to death. She's this little green haired lesbian, five foot two, oh, tough yes. as nails, 
but sweetheart, you the know, hair is all you had to say. Hair's oh, yeah. she's rocking it. She had pink <laughs> for a while, which was actually pretty fly. I liked it. I think she had purple now. There's certain but, people uh, that can really work that. She could do it. There's she's some people that should just never attempt it, but no. still try. And yeah, well, she's we'll in just the, leave it at that. She's in the category of a certain kind of pale that any color is helpful. Oh. <laughs> Love her to death, you know I do. But I gave her give um, the ghost some light. <laughs> I gave her a medal, or not a medal, I gave her a trophy where it was a man with his arms straight up and he was holding a laurel. And at the bottom it said, congratulations, no one cares you're vegan. <laughs> and oh, she and she's gone, a vegan too. She went man, she just wants to hit all the points today, doesn't yeah. she? Well, she did it for a short time because she'll, when I last spoke to her, she was, you know, she'll eat meat, but it's one of those like things that she tries. She wants to go in and out. She wants to have a healthy lifestyle. And sure. She, I... I mean, I remember I, yeah. when I was younger reading uh, snippets from this book's, uh, book called Forks Over Knives. And it's about how MMA fighters were eating more vegetables and some were cutting meat out entirely and their performance was going up. I don't want to speak further on it because I don't remember. You know, obviously it was years ago I was reading this book. But it was really fascinating. There is something to the diet that when you sink in with all vegetables, something's going on there. But... I don't know. Uh, protein is such a heavy thing right now. The all protein diets taking over from carnivore uh, diet. Yeah, the carnivore diet. Yep. It's taking over Chicago. Last well, now time you're I heard. getting into my my bread and butter. Oh God. I yeah. I, ironically enough, I use a food reference. To <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. Um, no, no yeah. I think you're you're onto something here, and it it is really interesting. You were saying forks and knives, right? Forks I've, over knives. Forks over knives. Yeah. Gotcha. I've definitely heard of the book. I never read it myself. It came out in like 2005, 2006. It was an older book, mm. and uh, they turned it into a documentary series. Oh, interesting. And it followed. Oh, that might be why I've heard of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, documentaries. I'm all about the, the AV, audiovisual yeah. Real and stuff. quick and informally, I'm sorry, mm. but is there um, a frequency coming over to you on my mic? Can you hear me fine? Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. I just want to make sure because something was, I think it's in my headphones. So no, I we're all good. Sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Sorry to interrupt. But, yeah, they were following a couple of different lifestyles, meaning, like, people who worked in different jobs. But they all had the same diet. Mm. And the reason I got really into it is because one of the guys I played soccer with for a couple of years, great friend of mine named Corey, uh, his brother-in-law was Good an MMA fighter. neutral name. Yeah, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't re- I've never met a girl named Corey. I just, one just graduated that I worked with this summer. But I, I did not besides know. Besides the point. I just knew Peyton. Um, but Manning? Maybe, mm. uh, <laughs> but his Casual. his brother-in-law was an MMA fighter who was training in Minnesota, and he did that diet for about a year. And which diet is this? This is the forks over knives diet, where it was like you cut out all meat. But I so don't. It's a, is it a vegan diet? I, it's damn close. I, okay. l- let me look it up. Jamie, look it up. No. Jamie <laughs> Ford. We need a Jamie in here. My brother does it. Oh, we really? Did it for tests, and it yeah, worked out really, really awesome. well. Yeah. Let me look it up. What's your brother's name again? Jonah. Jonah, that's right. Yeah, he's, he was doing it, and we gave him his own um, – we're going to get him his own mic. We're going to get him his own little area to work I because it's, it's brutal. He's good and fast at doing it, but, my Lord, it's – I'm terrible at looking up and fact-checking myself. Yeah. It is – Well, okay, so is 90% of other running. people in this world today, so. Yeah, the Elon Musk, we're all cyborgs. We're just really inefficient. Did you see that interview with Rogan? Yeah, yeah, and that the, was yeah, really the, the idea that our phones have already been integrated with us, we just have a bad bandwidth between our phone and our, yeah. yeah. That freaked me out, actually. Dude, but I don't know, if Neuralink becomes uh, completely accessible to the consumer level, like... I feel think, like it's already think, out there. Think about, think about the ability, 
excuse me, no. um, of you're trying to look up forks over knives right now. Yeah, I have. What here. if your computer was just hyperlinked to your brain? You didn't even have to type. Hell, at that point, you don't even need the computer anymore. Yeah. It's just a search engine, and you could hyperlink the neuronal connections so that you're like, I wonder what Forks Over Knives is about. And it just Google searches in your head and just hyperlinks to your brain. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, man. Well, they've been talking about that for They've been talking about it for, goddamn, 15 years, 10 years. I've always felt like the technology was within reach, but the thing is it isolates and cuts out so many businesses that are worth so much money. Why would you ever want to do that? And on top of that, I don't think we're the generation that's ready to integrate that close with technology. I think we're pretty close with the way know, that man. we treat phones. You know, the, the, I think we're close, but I don't think we're, we're guys We're in a really interesting be. perspective from our age group, um, being that we grew up probably the first roughly 10 years of our life without major technological involvement. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I don't but remember then, having a actual smartphone. I ne- I didn't have a smartphone until I was in high school, but they yeah. had just come out when I had a smartphone. Right. I had a Nokia that was... I ran... Indestructible. A, yeah, I yeah. ran over it three times with a car. Yes. And it never broke. And it just... Gotta love Nokia. I Is don't know... Nokia? Nokia? I think it's Nokia. I've always said Nokia. I, I think you could say it either way. It's like Nokia, like Nokia yeah. car. No. <laughs> mm. Don't key my car. Oh, um, God. Anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, I, my, my, you know, my dad worked for uh, IBM back then. Yeah. Uh, and we were lucky enough to get one of the first, like, PCs, like the original, like, oh, beige tower kidding. PC. Really? And we had it in the corner of our living room. And there really wasn't a whole lot of use for it back then, if I'm being entirely honest. No, I hate My dad PCs. was the only one that oh, really used it, and it was for IBM-related stuff. Yeah. And, but he learned how to sell them, and that was his job. I remember hating playing video games on there. Oh, when yeah. you played, like, you know, AS... Dude, it was like Roller Coaster oh. Tycoon back then. I, oh, God, I had, like, some weird Tarzan spell the missing word game, and I just wanted to throw it out the window because uh-huh. it was like, God, if this is my... Inter- I guess well, that's I remember, why I grew I up remember, to be the man I am because I, I don't was know outside if, more. If this was like you for school too, but when I was younger, like I don't know, let's flashback third, fourth grade, they were doing typing classes, and they're like, "Oh, this is the future! Like everybody's going to need to know how to do this." Blah yeah. blah. And it's like I don't know if it really necessarily helped me all that much at all, but like today, everybody knows how to type. It comes by you naturally but, now. But but think yeah. about that, right? Yeah. Is that they thought it was going to be so important? And so, like, revolutionary, which, I mean, yes, but the fact that they wanted to teach it in classes is if you were going to get some leveled up step on people. But the thing that's interesting about that is, like, now everybody has a computer. We have a computer in our pocket. Well, I wouldn't even... You know what I'm saying? I'm looking at the phone. It's... I mean, they taught me library science when I was little about right. how to find certain things in the library and then how to find certain things online, yeah. domain names, how to use domain names, because they were always considering. I, I, hell, I remember a teacher telling me, get your website up now because you don't know what domains are going to be gone. So get your own website and have it just in case. And I was like, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. And one of my friends had one, and his last name was Kranz. It was spelled differently like Crayola, but it was he called it the Crayons website, and all the files were like red, blue, green, yellow, Crayons, and he would put different things on there. But, yeah, we were encouraged to try out every aspect of technology that we could with computers. 
but all the stuff I learned as a kid are obsolete now, yeah. at least. But see, that would have been what's going really on. helpful. Yo, yeah. dot com yeah. bubbles here, like oh, jump yeah. on it, like great. But you know, nowadays it's like, well, whatever. I guess, I guess the the longer form of what I'm trying to get at with this is that it's just really interesting to me how exponential that growth was to oh, the point where boom. they thought it was yeah. like you were going to have a foot up if you learn this in school when in reality here we are everybody can do it yeah and so it, it's just that's really interesting to me so then when you get back to the idea of uh re, you know uh increasing the bandwidth through something like Neuralink, yeah around the cerebral you know we we think that that's going to be like a generation away it could be five years away I think we it's, don't know. I think it was we're possible years, years old, ago. We're 21 yeah. years old. You know, it's yeah. like, come on, man. I I truly believe that a lot of the stuff that is capable, they keep out of our hands because they just don't know what to do. What would happen if it entered the marketplace? Yeah, I, think, I wouldn't I be surprised if like stuff that, like that I would think be gone. It's also just uh, reproducibility, of course, yeah. Yeah. just from a purely consumer-based yeah. product standard. Yeah, but. definitely part of it. Um, no, I get what you're saying, though. I definitely have thought about that, about the disparity that that would create. Because if you had the ability to afford Neuralink, so let's say Neuralink comes out with a consumer-grade product, but it costs like mm-hmm. half a million dollars. Well, yeah. there's only the upper class is going to be the only people that can even afford that. If they want it. But yeah. the investment that you'd be making in buying something like Neuralink, you would become a millionaire overnight. Oh, yeah. I mean, think of the movie Limitless. I haven't seen that, but mm. I know the concept. Yeah, I've so read you the take script. a pill. Yeah. And it unlocks the rest of your mind. <laughs> it unlocks the power of the mind. I love it. Yeah. Well. You know. And th- so the point is that it's like Neuralink is the literal interpretation of that. It's not a pill, right? No. Our brain's already working 100%. That's a stupid model. To I don't know. I don't know if people still believe that, but that we only use like 20% of our mind or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, we can only access like 10% at a time. But we can only actively create connections in sections of our brain, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean our brain isn't working in those areas. Anyways. Um. This this is the, the the literal interpretation of that figurative, right? Which is, look, you can now actually like use technology to your benefit. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about the internet, when you start thinking about, it, is what internet, right? It's an interconnected network, is how I think about it. Yeah. And we have pooled all of this information into one area. That's why anybody can be an expert on anything today, because you can pull open <laughs> Wikipedia and read about it for an hour, and boom. You're a fucking genius. <laughs> well, here's the reality of it is, is that that's just a, an accumulation of millions and billions of people adding to a network of human information. So my interesting point of view, and what I'm almost a little scared to see as we move into this um, AI kind of fourth industrial revolution time period, yeah. as, as um, you know, Andrew Yang, the Democratic candidate, would say, um, or one of the potential, I should say, um, is that... If the internet is essentially just an accumulation of human being, right, and then we find a way to interconnect it with our brains, what makes you an individual through your brain? Yeah. Do you, you kind of get what I'm saying? No, at here? I totally understand what you're saying. I thought like of if we can just access before. everybody's information. Yeah. No, it's kind of like that's weird. It's it's how like do copy I protect my Visco, data, girl? You know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think of. I look at those Visco girls. They're totally new to me. My brother Where's was showing my me that. Where's firewall for my brain? What, where? Data, like data security. I Anybody even, that's yeah. thinking about a future career, oh, God, data God. security is going to be massive. Oh, yeah. Massive. 
because then you can even take information like this, right? And so we were just talking about this tool that you have sitting over here. Yeah, it's preamp interface. Yeah, that's uh, you know condensing all of the audio information into a simple process code for your computer then to process into a nice little yeah. file, right? Yep. Okay. So within that concept, what if we could do that with your brain? Oof. Right. And then I can just uplink. You don't want things. those dark thoughts, right? Jack. You don't want them. Right? No, but see, <laughs> but that's that's kind of my point is, like, if you are somehow able to do that, then, like, you know, information, like, so let's say we take a, a three-hour-long podcast with experts talking about whatever it may be, arguing back and forth. And mm. I'm like, damn, dude, I don't want to learn. You know, I, I got a test. It's fifth grade. I don't want to. I don't want to learn about the Revolutionary War. Okay, I just, I know. Okay, I'm just, I'm over it. A bunch of old guys with wigs. But you find, you find, um, there was that one channel that would always do uh, really quick videos uh, solidifying a bunch of historical information in like 10 minutes, I forget what it's called. Yeah, I I kind of remember what you were talking about. Yeah, I remember, I would always use that because I just didn't care to read when I was in high school and middle school and whatever. It's weird. I got that way when I made it to college. Yeah. I would read everything when I was little. See, now I read now, through everything and I want to shoot myself as I do it. But I flipped when I made it here. Yeah. I, I think it was because I realized that time is valuable. Right. Mm. Yeah, so time is valuable, right? Yeah. So what if you're able to condense a three-hour-long podcast of information that you need to be successful oh, into a file that then you can just program into your head? Yeah, or you borrow it for time. You just you download it, yep. like on your laptop. Like yesterday, I was trying to download all of the podcasts from my past. I had a four-and-a-half-hour podcast, and it was so big, it didn't fit on a hard drive, like a yeah. drive. And I just imagined, like, what if I put that on someone's phone? You couldn't keep that on a phone. You couldn't keep it on a phone for more than a day. You would have to get rid of it at some point. Right. So I imagine, like the image you're giving me, that you would borrow it, you would check it out for two hours, and then you'd have to give it back before you go back into class or a different class. Yeah, man. I just well, and but but from that context, so if we're able to utilize the brain storage capabilities, I mean, we have trillions of neurological connections. Yeah. Now I'm not an expert on neurology. We would need our other roommate Michael here to talk about that. He'll get his chance. Right. (laughs) If he if he earns it. Yeah. If he earns (laughs) it. If he doesn't pour a drink. No, I'm just kidding. I, I told him, I told Jack before coming in, like, I'm fine with us drinking on the podcast. I just don't want us going balls to the wall, crashing and burning. Yeah. I don't, you know. I we haven't drink. hit the shot section of this uh, podcast yet. You haven't. Yeah, shot for shot. It's like no. two truths and a lie, but every time you get it wrong, we. No, I'm not I doing I think I that. just randomly came up with a really clever game. Anyways, we're in college, guys. For everybody that's listening, just let it be. We got one more year of this. Y- you do. Huh? I'm leaving this year. I'm Are done. you? Yeah, I'm a senior. No, I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. What are you talking about? Leaving. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I want to get back to your, your point when you were starting to bring up veganism and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I have the menu of items that you can eat here. I might as well get back. Oh, on yeah. The forks over knives. Yeah. Forks over knives ask you to eat either fruit, vegetables, uh, potatoes, corn, green beans, starches, vegetables, uh, whole grains, or... Black beans, chickpeas, lentils, pinto beans. Here they all are if you want to see them. But that's it. You just eat out of those five food groups. And all your food kind of comes from there. So I would love to get somebody in here to explain how that works because a lot of the people that they interviewed were saying they had higher energy. But at the same time, it looked like their lives, they crashed earlier. So it was, I called it old folk syndrome where you, go to, you have to go to bed earlier. So you have these highs that are so high but your crashes are so fast. But I assume that you're running off the sugars and the starches mostly. 
I don't know. I know nothing about nutrition. I'm, I'm and I know you are like <laughs> nutrition. <laughs> anti, nutrition is my anti nutrition. Anti nutritionist. <laughs> yeah, anti nutritionist. Fuck the nutrition world. No. Um, <laughs> to give some context. Yeah. Go ahead. So I'm, we're in college. Uh, ben sitting across from us is, uh, you know, the the calm guy here, communications major. Dipshit. Yeah. Um, yep. He's an idiot. Yep. Um, I'm the idiot. Of we the just podcast. keep him around because he's kind of funny sometimes, but mostly not just, even that. Mostly just easy to make fun of. You want to know um, what's sad? That's what my Twitter page says. Sometimes I'm funny. <laughs> I'm well, not now, kidding with you. Well, Jack. now we're getting too existential. Um, you're you're getting personal. That's what's happening. You're getting, getting really getting personal, really deep in there. Oh. Um. Anyways. So he's he's the comm major, and I am what you call an integrative science major. Um, I'm studying pre-medicine, and two of my uh, minors are exercise science and then nutritional sciences. And Ben is dying for some reason. Yeah, I don't. Know. Just sorry. Just let it be. Yeah, just let it go. Just let it be. Welcome let to the ward, be. ladies and gentlemen. Baby, just let it be. Um, and so, you know, I'm very interested in nutritional sciences. Um, obviously, I want to be a doctor someday. And there's a big implication for how nutrition actually impacts our lifestyle and ultimately our health and what doctors should be doing and so on and so forth. The issue is, is that not every doctor is a researcher. No. Right? God, no. You're going to meet a lot of family physicians, right? Family medicine physicians are going to tell you what they know off the cuff of their sleeve. And they may have done some reading. My point is, is that if you don't know what you're looking for, the reading is going to point you in probably completely the wrong direction if you ask me. Oh. Now. Okay. This is something that I don't think a lot of people understand, is that science is not 100%. No, it's trial and error. Right? Yeah. So anytime a study comes out saying, oh my God, look at these results. We showed that a vegan diet um, increases energy, um, I don't know, reserves. I don't know the words that I would use to explain that. But first of all, there's so many things that run through my mind immediately as a scientific person about, well hold on a minute, what are your operational definitions? Meaning, what do you mean by energy? Are we talking about a feeling? Are we talking about a sensation and your perception of said sensation? Yeah. Or are we talking about energy expenditure? And then that gets into a really fun topic, yeah. which is about calories and if that's even the correct model, right? So the whole entire point here is that I think nutrition is an easier one to see about how it's like, you know, I don't think anybody really knows the full answer right now. And so I think from that perspective, it's like, okay, yeah, science is debatable. Science is debatable from a lot of areas that you would think are completely solid. For example, there's a lot of people that like to point out holes in Charles Darwin's evolutionary uh, theory, uh, right? Um, studying the Galapagos Islands, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I don't know enough about that to go into that. Nope. But from a nutritional standpoint, what I'm trying to get at is that People like to talk as if they know exactly what they're talking about. I don't think personally that there is a critical enough of an eye being um, or looking at rather all of the intricacies that outline this thing issue. So there's a lot of different lanes to this. Yeah, take your time, man. Um, <laughs> We're here all night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is the reason. I guess I guess too, the yeah. thing that I want to I want to point out too is that I'm a student. I'm still learning. I have a couple of studies in my, my backpack that I want to yeah. go over in the next couple of days. I have conversations with this about people that disagree with me, and I, I'm always open to learning. But from my perspective currently, this is, this is my thought. So take it with a grain of sand. Um, 
or salt, no, or that's, however you put it. I always, just before you get into this is a podcast directly for people like me who don't know much about anything to learn and just ask questions of people that usually don't hear you hear you don't hear at the forefront yeah i purposely want to talk to people that are out of the spotlight and i want to talk to people that i'm going to disagree a lot with absolutely so that's just the nature of this so don't feel like the first you won't be the last i'm going to talk to every kind of person so yeah go ahead and take it yeah so i mean the the first thing first uh, off that point i was just talking about is that there are a lot of different types of scientific studies right and the gold standard for uh, laboratory basic science research is an RCT or a randomized control trial. So this is the type of stuff that they would do with drugs where they give you a control group and they give you an experimental group. So you have a person that's taking a drug and you have a person that's not taking a drug. So for example, let's say chemo treatment. Okay. So chemotherapy utilized uh, in oncology, uh, the study of cancer uh, to help treat individuals with uh, hyperactive uh, neoplasms. Was this what... Similar to what you were doing at uh, Colorado with the children's hospital? Oh, sure, yeah. So maybe to touch on that real quick, I'm I'm wearing a jacket. Yeah, I just want to make sure, too, that this has a lot to do with your background, too, and what you're doing in children's hospital and your goal as a guy who survived cancer as a child to help other kids. Yeah, so yeah, this last summer I worked at a children's hospital in Colorado, and uh, I was part of the research team in the Musculoskeletal Research Center, the MRC, um, working under an uh, orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, okay. And uh, my, my direct boss was an epidemiologist, someone who studies the, the preponderance of disease. And so um, within that context, my study was around uh, uh, pediatric patients who had undergone total joint arthroplasties or total joint replacements. Okay. And so we're talking about a median age of 18-year-olds, uh, but as young as 9 years old and as old as like 30-something that had undergone a total hip or a total knee replacement. And so I was looking at the patients that we had had gone through children's, and I was researching them to find out how they're doing, how those replacements are lasting, how their health mentally, physically, and all that was utilized, and yada, yada, yada. So that's kind of my background and research thus far. I'm also doing a capstone research project here at St. John's and St. Ben's um, in uh, tracking how motivational self-talk and or imagery I'm in the process of kind of determining which one I want to center on um, uh, affects maximal force output. And so we would do that with a tool called a hand dynamometer, which is essentially just like a little hand grip uh, scale. And so the harder you squeeze it, the the more... I've used one before. Yeah. Yeah. It'll show you how much force you're exerting on the machine. Okay. And so my my question is, uh, certain psychological warm-ups, like telling yourself positive things or imagining, you know, your your arms squeezing the shit out of it, if that'll actually have a physical effect on how that works. So just to run this by in layman's terms right now your main study is seeing if mentally you're able to hype yourself up enough to create a physical performance that'd be beyond what you're commonly able to do yeah exactly yeah i mean i used to be a power lifter yeah i'm a skinny piece of shit now welcome to the club yeah i used to be huge (laughs) massive really no i'm just kidding keep bragging you know i i i I enjoyed what i did back then i was probably take another dip inside that nacho cheese in front of you there man yeah right (laughs) and uh you know, back then, people do all sorts of weird shit to try to lift more. 
And so when I was yeah. looking at the study and thinking about it through an exercise science standpoint, which is what, you know, my research needed to be in, I was like, well, this seems really interesting to me. Like, let's take yeah. a look. Just so happened, it turned into a really cool study with a gap in the literature that'll Perfect. probably hope, hopefully get me another authorship down the line or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my background. Yeah. And, and so, then so, then the, so then the interesting point, yeah, mm -hmm. to kind of digress is now I've just placed out two different kinds of studies in front of you, which is exactly what I was trying to get at. So that's a great uh, little segue there. So I did a basic science research. That's the one I'm doing now, which is where I'm actually controlling the groups mm -hmm. and it's in a laboratory setting. The other one that I did was a through and through epidemiological study. I am doing cohorts in What's which I'm in epidemial. Sorry. Yeah. So, me. yeah. So I, I guess I don't maybe know off the, like the Latin roots per se, but like epidemiology is the study of disease. Okay. And so if somebody goes on to get like an MPH, like a master's in public health, an option that they have, or in most cases is then to go and work as an epidemiologist. Okay. Got it. So then your job as an epidemiologist is to do these descriptive based observational studies where you look at cohorts of people and you try to see if certain treatments have better effects on them, or you try to find a correlation between groups. Okay. And so those are those are pretty okay. classic uh, epidemiological studies. Okay, got it. And then you have your basic science research, which could be anywhere from what I'm doing with the hand dynamometers, uh, with that uh, hype up uh, uh, research. Yeah, yeah. Or it could be like benchtop research, like we're we're sitting there with aliquots and beakers and and doing all that good stuff, right? Yeah. So that's probably the the good distinguishing thing to lay out first. Most nutritional studies are done through epidemiology, meaning that they take a population of people and they examine what has been going on with those people and then they make assertions about what they examined. Okay? Very important to know. Yeah. Because when you start saying stuff like it's fact, nothing in science is fact. Right? Even gravity, right, is just such a constant that we, we've uh, appropriated it the, the term law. Right? Well, yeah. Well, what... You say that science is fact, but... Law, basically meaning it's a it's the constant. Yeah, it's the law, state of matter. So that if something it will never if change. something has earned the title of law, like it's Newton's the highest laws, degree you can have in science. There is not like we do not know how to explain how it could not be true, right? So in that sense, like law, uh, Newton's laws of physics mm -hmm. are like we for yeah. lack Objects of better, yeah. I mean, for humans, we do not know how else that this could work. Therefore, this is our best explanation. Theories, on the other hand. Those are, are very different. supported yeah. by a lot of literature that are reproducible. And so you've, you've, you have people around the scientific community in these different areas constantly doing studies that then re-support uh, the area of interest. And so, then based off of that, you can build a theory saying, well, this is how we think it works. Yeah. We can't narrow it down to any specific mechanism. There's nothing that we can actually look at in physical science, in, in microbiology or anything like that. That we're like, yep, that's how it works. We are theorizing that this is the way it works because if we do it the same way and you know, mix match little details and try to you know, bring different uh, variables into it, it still every single time in these studies happens the same way. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so that's, that's usually how science works. It's like you have a hypothesis, you collect the data, you analyze the data, you find whether or not it's significant. If it's significant, you go, cool. Well, then there may be some, you know, uh, correlational thing going on, or there may be some form of uh, something that we're examining here that is giving us positive results back on a probability scale, whatever. It's yeah. a little bit more complicated than that. I won't delve that deep into it. Not yet. 
Yeah. Episode two, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the point is, is that, great. So now you've established a theory. Well, in nutrition, we can't do that with epidemiological studies. Epidemiological studies are observational studies. They're purely examining a cohort of people in order to make an assertion about what we have examined. So from my arthroplasty, uh, my hip replacement, knee replacement example, I was looking at patients who had undergone non-solid tumors, so non-bone tumors, so anything else. That could be liquid tumors such as Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm -hmm. leukemia. It could be rheumatological disorders such as arthritis. It could be congenital deformities like hip dysplasia. It could be anything that would cause them to n need an arthroplasty, need a hip replacement or knee replacement for that matter. In that case, I'm not finding anything really novel. I'm just researching them, looking at how they're doing, and then I'm like, look, you know, in, our, in that particular study, there's a bit of hesitancy amongst orthopedic surgeons to want to do joint replacements on young people because they don't understand or nobody really knows what that's going to look like for them down the line. Now, to say that these people are going to be the healthiest people alive, no. They're going to need more hip replacements moving forward because we're putting a piece of metal in them that will uh, inevitably fail. But it gives them better life outcomes in the meantime. And that was what my study was trying to look at, was yeah. saying, look, I understand that there's a lot of hesitancy, but if that joint is failing, your only other option to that point is amputation. And a hip replacement is going to give them much better mobility and functionality than an amputation would. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this is going to need to be replaced down the line, but look how well these people are doing now. And that's what my study was examining and kind of putting out there. Okay. So I think that gives you a really good context for what we're talking about when it comes to these studies. Yep. So now I think if we delve into the nutrition thing, it might make a little bit more sense, which is you and me look different. We eat differently. We are differently active and we come from different genetic backgrounds. Why would one thing work for you that would like perfectly work for me? I mean, it, it sounds simple when you put it that way, right? Yeah. And obviously there's theories that have been built around the idea that certain percentages, um, uh, which are uh, determined as RDAs in the nutritional community, uh, recommended daily allowances of percentages of macronutrients being carbohydrates, proteins, or fats. Those are your three macronutrients. People suggest that there is a good number. I say that's bullshit. Okay. Yeah. So are they Why? looking for more of a specific number or is it people a range? Just, people want to put numbers out there, right? So get back to the doctor example. Yeah. Doctors are not going to be able to become experts in everything. It's just not possible. That's why we have specialists, right? Well, if you're my family medicine doctor, I'd hope you know a bit of a thing or two about nutrition. Medical schools don't teach that much about nutrition. So a lot that comes is through the organizations that specifically look at it. So the issue becomes, though, is that they do these epidemiological studies that examine large cohorts of people, and then they make assertions based on the probability that that will occur. And so the point is, is that they may look at this and go, yeah, these registered daily allowance or uh, recommended daily allowances have yielded good results for the majority of people. Majority of people. What about the other people? Why is it that we have such a high obesity rate in the United States of America and it only continues to get worse? I, you know, this is the fun part where it's like if we had a Jamie, you could throw up on the screen, you know, a GIF of, or a GIF, whatever you want to call it, 
of of yeah. you know the United States by state, and it'll show in color gradient how obesity has changed over the last forty years. Mm-hmm. It is frightening. No, and it's the lower very south you can see it. is oh, yeah. thirty-five to forty percent obese. Yeah, that's insanity. Yeah, it insanity, is. Ben. No, I know. I you're talking to a guy that. All so I don't do is so don't tell about, me you know so yeah. that this is where I get really preachy in nutrition and I say don't tell me that that is the answer if that's still a fucking problem and that's where I start to get a little heated with people because I I honestly feel like especially I get I get especially frustrated with people that want to be dietitians registered dietitians those are the people that would be making these recommendations and helping people with their diets and at the heart of every dietitian is a loving empathetic person that wants an individual to get healthier. But if you do not look at the research with a critical eye, you are lending an ignorant, you know, vision to the research that you're doing. I just think that sometimes people that become registered dietitians, at least from my perspective, from the people that I've met, aren't scientists. They aren't concerned with the scientific properties. They learn what they learn and they do what they do just because just like anybody else. They just want a job, man. Everybody's trying to get by and do something that they find is fun. You get to help people as an RD. I wanted to be an RD for a while. And who knows, maybe down the line I'll get it to give myself some, you know, professional credit to myself. But, you know, the the point is, is that I I think that they all have the right intention. I just don't think people are looking at it critically enough. What's the pathway to become an RD? Like, what would one person go through in order to become a registered dietitian? Great question. Bachelor's degree, for sure. Yep. In some form of scientific field. Given, yeah. And then you, I believe now it's transitioning towards you needing to get a master's degree. Okay. Before, you would just do an internship for a year, and you would get your RD out of your bachelor's. I was going to say, I've met a couple people that do that. Um, They work closer to physical therapy, of all things. Yeah. But they didn't really seem like... Nope. It was super easy. education. And, I mean, master's degree in, in, you know, sounds threatening, but in the world of medicine, that's pretty straightforward. That's a two-year program of you doing an integrated uh, internship where you learn how to be a registered dietitian. So I'm hoping that they're they're getting better, but I, I don't think the issue, again, is necessarily down that lane. I think that the people are becoming RDs have the right intention and they have the right mindset. The issue is the information they're being fed. And so this is where it gets complicated. Epidemiological studies. Not great for why. Because they're looking at a group of people that's not inclusive to everybody. Yeah. From my perspective, we are all far too unique when it comes to nutrition to do epidemiological studies to find it. Now, this is the question that I beg to myself is, well, then what's the answer? If we can't do our studies that we've found good to help full populations, like what are we supposed to do? And I think that is the next big battle of medicine is individualized medicine, finding a way to do precision medicine as it's being coined, which is essentially like each of us has our own genetic code that makes us very specific people. And as we pull all of our genetics into one giant database, we're going to start to be able to understand a lot more about each individual based off the codes that are included into our bodies. And so the point with that is, is that nutrition plays a big part in that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe to give you a more colloquial example, if you take you versus an obese person, okay, you could probably feed you guys the exact same diets. You would have completely different responses. It's for a variety of reasons, but at its core is genetics. And I think the big issue that you have to start to realize is that 
you may just ha- you know you're a pretty tall thin dude you yeah, got more six, surface area you can give yeah. off more heat you're athletic six to 275 right around there yeah exactly yep he's massive no huge really no. <laughs> um <laughs> also just real quick yeah you may hear a, a bump in your headphones just because okay. your audio for a minute they're dropped so just want to give you that heads up. It's back now, but just in case. Yep. But continue. Sorry. Um, I'm working the board, people. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hopefully doing more than one thing. people are actually finding yeah. this interesting. Um, yeah. No, I'm finding it fascinating. Well, this is one of those things Intriguing. where it's something people don't know about. It's something that is so foreign to a lot of us that we don't get a chance to step back and really look at it. Well, and it's what we're eating. And that's why I think it's so fascinating. No, it's it's the odd stuff in life. Everything that, that you put in your body makes a difference on how your body responds. Oh, yeah. Right? And everyone can relate to this in a weird way. This isn't going to be a topic usually that I'll talk about where everybody can relate to that. And it's just overall very difficult to talk about this sort yeah, of thing. No, absolutely. So. And so I, I just think it's interesting. So if we took you against an obese individual, um, which is a classification based upon uh, percentage body fat, Okay. Uh, BMI, uh, body mass index, which is kind of a rough. It's taking everything into mass. Yeah, mass it right? doesn't. Yeah, and when you when you have ma- muscle weighs more than fat, and so if you're a very muscular person, you could be obese on the scale if you're a bodybuilder per se. Really? Yeah, it's interesting. So is that just taking weight in general times? So BMI, like what your height BMI be? is a measurement of weight and height. Okay, so it's kind of like so a you being scale. a six-two individual and maybe one sixty. Yep, yeah. around 160, 170, somewhere in there, yeah. probably. So you're probably good weight for your size. When I'm yeah. when I'm sitting above 200, I mean, currently I'm under 190, so I'm probably better now. I'm, but I'm still probably either 20% body fat, quote unquote, or not body fat. I'm I'm probably within the whatever the percentile is. I'd be ranked as like a man. Now I'm now I'm getting confused. Well, I anyways, look at, I look at what you're saying. I'm yeah. picturing. Um, picture a graph, and okay. there's a line that goes horizontally up from left to right. It's mm-hmm. a straight line. And at the bottom, we have height. And on the side, we have weight. Or rather, well, let's go weight at the bottom because they're yeah. going to get bigger. And height will go yep. up because it makes sense of going well, up. And then, they, and then they divide it by age group. Yep. And, and then it all depends, and then you're ranked within uh, percentiles. So there's this golden target area where you're supposed yeah. to fall. And, and it's it just doesn't, between 10 pounds, It doesn't right? really work that well. But again, it's, it's, it's a base level, what you call an anthro, uh, anthropometric um, measurement, meaning like it's a, it's a physical measurement of the human body. Um, that gives us some quantitative thing to go off of. Yeah. Uh, so it, if yeah. you're, um, if you're six two and you're two hundred pounds, but it's mostly muscle. Yes. And you're eating a you lot could, better. You could. You could appear very gonna fat. Be nicer. And any doctor that's yeah. worth their weight is going to be like, ah, it doesn't matter. You're fine. Yeah. We well, we can obviously tell that you're not obese, which is a dangerous territory to get into, as you know, people try to point out in things like fat studies. Granted, fat studies takes it to the other extreme. But I will agree that there is something to be said about be, needing to be careful with how you judge some of those things. Oh, I got to I'm going to be talking to. Um, well, I'm hoping a couple of people come on. I can't remember their studies right now, but they were talking to me about the study that just came out of Georgia. I shouldn't say just came. It's about half a year ago about the woman that made the argument about how fat is actually better for your body. And I got a hold of the um, paperwork. I wanted to read the physical copy of it. And it's coming in here in a couple of weeks. I'm really excited to read it. And I, I really don't know what's going on because people are arguing about health. Like, 
there's this beauty to it that we need to take self-conscious of that everyone's beautiful remark sure everyone is beautiful in their own way we're all snowflakes great but sincerely what's going on under the hood matters and it shouldn't be taken in this cover exactly. blank statement of oh that's just you yep. your body's just operating that way yeah now and but again and I, I think that's an important thing to say though i you know i think i think I'm not. A, I, I think gender studies, for example, and fat studies and these cultural, societal, you know, sociological studies uh, of interest that people are getting involved with more today in college. <sighs> I think that about says it. No, I, I. They at their base level, at their foundation, I think that there is something to be said that could be very, very important in what they're trying to do. But then what we were talking earlier about, like virtue signaling and getting so like ingrained in political correctness. And, like, I just want to just kill myself because it's like you took a concept that could have actually been kind of cool and helpful, and now you've just turned it into a way for you to gaslight people and to, like, make yeah. yourself look better because you actually care about people that are obese and they're beautiful people. Dude, if you have a 35% body fat content— You just came content, off, like, a half an hour of intellectual speak, and that's how you ended it. I know. Congratulations. I know. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm only 21. Cut me some slack. Well, but, and you're on this show, yeah. so don't worry. But no, but it's interesting don't to me because it's like I, I get what you're trying to say, and again, no, I think it's, people are coming yeah. from a good angle. I just The heart's in the right place. You're fat. But, yeah. You're fat, and it's not good for you. Now, the opposite side of the extreme isn't good for you either. There is oh, a mid-ground. No. Now, there are people that are going to present heavier than others, and it doesn't mean they're unhealthy, right? And I think that's what people are really trying to get at. Yeah. And I think that's important because just because you have some extra fluff, right? It's because you're looking a little fluffy, Gabriel Iglesias. Well, we, uh, it was funny you bring that up because I was just describing, I talk basketball for a lot of people. I'm a basketball analyst on most days. But we were talking about this term. It's called they're not salad eaters. That you, no matter what, I'm one of these people. No matter how many crunches you do, no matter how many squats you do, your body will never look cover girl, copy perfect cut and paste abs you just don't have that genetic work you're always going to look a certain weight you're always going to look a certain body context that's your anatomy yeah that's just the way you look change that i have that i can never really get a hard like i'll i run a lot i tried to get abs i don't look good with abs my stomach and sides highlight my abs and my stomach gets really stretched out actually It's hard for me to explain right no, now because I mean, I'm losing you, words you, here. You, but you have poor muscle insertion points. Yeah. I just don't look Bodybuilders good. Bodybuilders have I, great muscle insertions. Oh. We have a friend, Billy, who's a, a cheerleader oh, for love Notre him. Dame. I love He's Billy. He's hilarious. I love him. Billy is a bodybuilder, and that kid looks insane. Yeah, he, he just does. is blessed. Like He puts in a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong, but he is blessed with good anatomy. He's got... He's also got that really wide frame where everything yes. kind of looks naturally balanced. Yes. Whereas I'm super long in the You're legs. I'm kind of gangly. He's a tree. He, yeah, he's just, everything I is very Groot. proportionate. Don't, don't. The trees, they speak Vietnamese. Um, <laughs> Nam 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 yeah. Um <laughs> That was Chinese, you racist bastard. Ni hao. Ni hao. I learned that from my FR, who's just fantastic but but besides continue sorry kind of lost where we were we um, were at fat people, yeah fat. yeah pointing yeah so i guess the point is is that you probably just have the ability to um 
take in glucose, sugar, yeah. right, our, our main energy source, quote unquote, we'll get into that, yeah. and utilize it better than most obese individuals could. So what does that say about your body, right? And so this is where I think that there are some points to epidemiology that we could start looking at, but we just need to be, understand that it's more complicated than just these macronutrients sometimes. So I want to make sure I'm on track in my head with this, how I want this to flow. Take your time, dude. Um, Take your time because it's one of those things that you're talking about something so complex to me that you need to talk slow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we're so, we're going to be giving this out to the public and I, I know the people I'm showing this to and the people that generally I'm making this for are really similar to me and I'm really I'm making this for myself. I, I think anybody honest, that but really wants to sit down and listen to a podcast is a generally curious person. Well, hopefully. Yeah. But, you know, there's also guys like me that just want a time to laugh. It's it can be entertainment, it can be curiosity filler. But in this sort of context when we're talking about something so complex and something that's so out there you yeah. know no one talks about this ever you need to take your time so take your time yeah. organizing your thoughts if you need well, a so so far we, we've hit why epidemiology studies don't work properly for nutrition and that they happen to be the main source yeah you have too big of a group it doesn't apply to everyone. genetics plays a big role in what your actual functional anatomy is what the phenotypic expression of your genome is okay so for non-science people you have your genetic property and then you have the phenotype um, of your genome or your genetic base um, and the phenotype is the physical and not necessarily physical but the actual expression of said genetics so genetics controls a lot more than just your physical side of things it controls your intellect your personality yada 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 yeah so the phenotype would be your uh, inclination towards dark humor and your genome is a code that in, in encoded that into your system and we get these genetics from our parents. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty good point. On genetics, there's a thing called epigenetics. Above genetics would be the, the translation of that. Epigenetics is concerned with how your environmental factors affect your genome and therefore your phenotype. Now, as we mature, as we grow, our physical aspects can be manipulated by our environment. So if you get shitty nutrition, you will not grow well, right? I feel like that's a pretty good example. Yeah. and Malnourished yeah. children will not grow to be their full potential height, weight, yeah. or stature. And there's also a difference when you see, like one thing I've always noticed is when people move. This is a really good just regular layperson example, especially for people like me. When I moved after like leaving school, or I shouldn't say that, I left for college. And my family moved after that. My brother moved to Eden Prairie. And my sister moved to Eden Prairie. And they were in the middle of their growth spurts when I had just come out of mine. And, of course, we've said I'm 6'2". I was eating farm food. I was eating chicken that was raised on the right there, pork, beef, organic beef. I was getting real milk. I was getting a lot of really good nutrition in general. And I was sh shooting up like crazy every growth spurt I got. Now, my brother is hitting his now. It's around the same time. He's a little bit smaller. He's around five, five seven, five eight. He's coming, but he hasn't filled out the same way. Right. And it, it is interesting to look at two brothers, or you look at two sisters, or you look at just two best friends who are growing up in the same area, and you just kind of take what stature their family's living in at that time, and you can kind of tell, okay, yeah, this is probably the food that they're eating. 
and you can see height difference. Yeah. You can see weight difference. No, it's but you're, so you're, subtle. You're hitting at a really important point there. Excuse me one sec. Oh, do you want some more wine, by the way, dude? Oh, sure. Yeah, here. Just put your cup up. Thank you. Yeah, I'll go off a little tangent. Easy to pour us up. Um, I'm a gentleman. I know how to pour What, what a Johnny, really. Um, holding doors, pouring wine. It's sad because I, I don't drink unless it's a special occasion. Getting, I'm here with you tonight, names. brother, so it is a special <laughs> occasion for me. Yeah, man. I don't uh, drink otherwise. I just Wine's, wine's a good starter. Yeah, well, um, super sweet wine. But no, you're hitting at an important point. So with epigenetics, it, what you were all saying is, is exactly on point. It's a good, nice example. The point is that the thing that you put in your body makes a difference. It is more than just the macronutrient outline. So, for example, we're drinking wine. Macronutrition meaning overall nutrition? Uh, macronutrients meaning protein, carbs, or fats. Okay, got yep. it. Yep, yep. Just want to make sure. Yep, good clarifying point. So with that, yeah, so we're, we're drinking wine, right? Yeah. Wine is carbs. Okay. It also has alcohol, which is a completely different thing. Let's focus on the macronutrients for Just, now. Yeah, take the carbs because yeah. that's the overall Carbs, point. right? Carbs, carbs, carbs. Fats, 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 protein. <laughs> You need to be careful with how you understand this stuff, right? Because yeah. a lot of things are carbs. Vegetables are carbs. I was but shocked so when are I chips first heard about sitting right stuff. in front of us, right? Yeah. So that's something not a lot of people. I remember having a conversation with a girl freshman year, uh, so three years ago, and I was like, "Well, you know, the reason why people get beer bellies is because beer has more volume, and at the same time." with all that volume makes it easier to consume, but then the actual alcoholic content is different, but then the caloric difference is also true. So if, if your goal as a college student is to get drunk and you're trying to do that off a of beer, you're going to be consuming a ratio of more calories than to alcoholic content. Okay. Now, if you're doing wine or liquor where the alcoholic content starts going up, but you can consume less volume, you're going to start consuming less calories, but getting a higher alcoholic uh, percentage content effect, yep. right? Yep. That's why most people get beer bellies, at least in a simple fact. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but because they're consuming more calories. And she goes, liquor has calories? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Why am I going here? Who are these people? Um and, but it's just a great point. So it's, it's carbs, right? Carbs are processed in the body differently than fats and differently than proteins are. But brings up the good point. What if, let's talk about protein for a second. Meat is protein. Yeah. It has some carbs in there. Mm -hmm. It has some fat in there. It's mostly protein. If you find a full-grown elk and you slay it and put its antlers on your mantle. Okay. And then you take that meat and you eat it. And that's a pretty, you know, that elk was out in the wild. It was a good, hearty elk that has really never seen another person. That's going to be some high-quality protein. Oh, yeah. It'll right? be through the roof of the amount right? of protein. But what makes it high-quality? And then what makes a cow that's been shot up with antibiotics shitty meat? What makes a cow happy? What makes a happy cow, a grass-fed cow, right? Why, why do people get so obsessed with organic? Why do why I do get, get the feeling you're going to start singing some like weird old McDonald carb shit? I mean, <laughs> you never know. 
We'll see where the night takes us. Oh, God. Uh, no. We'll see where the wine takes us. Don't um, joke about it right now. But I now. guess the point is, like, what makes it shitty? Why are people obsessed with organics? Why, why are people obsessed with this, that, and thing? It's yeah. because the quality of your food plays a large factor in how it affects the processes in your body. And a lot of that has to do with epigenetics. Because there's certain things that you can put in your body that will have a greater effect at what we call DNA methylation, which the simplest way to explain epigenetics in this sense is that DNA methylation is the biggest way that epigenetics plays a factor on how your phenotype, right, is expressed. So your phenotype being the, the, physical, the physical things that is probably the easiest way to explain hair, it, but again, eyes. it can be more than just physical. It can yeah. be your personality, it can be your mood, it can be your psyche. Yeah. It can be everything that is expressed, right? So your genome is just a code. Your genotype is just a code. The phenotype is what the genotype looks like in actual day-to-day life. It's pretty close to like RNA, whether but it's translated to your physical appearance and your physical outcome. Like what you speak, what you think, how yeah. you talk, how yeah. you look. It's everything that you see in the mirror and then The genotype is the code. Yep. The phenotype is the program. Okay. Right? Yep. You know, then... You're you're making me flash back to sophomore uh, biology here, so sorry. (laughs) I'm like, I'm trying to go back over my vocab real quick while you're not looking. No, I love love teaching this stuff. It's fine. No, this is why I got this Um, button. So you keep that in mind. And as you start to look at that, um, DNA methylation is where a methyl group, which don't worry about the chemistry, is attached is attached to portions of the DNA, and it can either turn it on or off. Think of a light switch. Okay. And so if it becomes methylated, it could be either one. It just really depends on what code we're talking about. So the point is that eating certain foods can actually have an effect on your genome, on what your DNA could do for you. You're kidding. Nope. Really? And then that can have an overall effect on your phenotype. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay. So this is why I you think... You just loaded me with questions. Yeah. <laughs> so this is why I think nutrition is one of the most interesting fields because it's so misunderstood and it has such a massive implication on our health. Insane. Insane. On our longevity, how long we uh, could expect to live, how our cells function properly, how efficiently our body does all of this stuff, man. I could talk about this for literally 24 hours. There's so much to go over. But the point that I want to get at and I really want to hit home is that, okay, so we've done epidemiology, we've talked about genetics, and now we've talked about epigenetics and how that can have a really interlacing role around why our body expresses things differently. So if you eat like shit, if like, so ramen sitting right over there, right? Classic college staple, right? Oh, yeah. All carbs, all carbs, and then MSG. Um, which is just a flavoring that makes your brain be like, holy shit, this tastes so good, even though I'm eating cardboard, okay? Because that's literally what it is. There is no nutritional value to that at all, right? There's car- there- there's carbs, right? So those are macronutrients. But now you start getting into the- talking about micronutrients, which are stuff like sodium, potassium. Well, those are electrolytes. I should say all the vitamins, for example, are probably the, the-, the best example. So vitamin B, vitamin A, biotin. Uh, folic acid, all these different vitamins that go into your body are micronutrients. Mm -hmm. So when people start talking from like a a bodybuilding perspective about, bro, does it fit your macros, dude? They're talking about the percentage that works best for your body within the line of fat, carbs, and proteins. 
The issue is, is it I could hit all of my macros. So let's say I appropriate 35% of my calories towards fat, uh, 25% of my calories towards protein, and 40% towards carbs. That's Don't worry about why. I won't. Yeah. The point is, is that <laughs> let's say that's what I'm doing. I could eat super healthy, right? I could be eating like spinach and like getting really high quality protein and like really good high polyunsaturated fats and all these things. And I could fit those macros and be like, mm, feel great. Or I could eat like shit and still hit every single one of them. But how do you think I'm going to feel after that? Probably like shit, cramps, right? Yeah, because it's more it. complicated than that. It has it has extra pyramidal effects on how the rest of your body interacts with it. Mm-hmm. It has these effects that then go on to interact with other things and change other things. Now that's that's less specific to epigenetics, but it still says the same thing. So if I eat like shit on a constant basis chronically, right? If you eat, if you eat like shit acutely, like once or twice a week, so mm-hmm. I'm eating good all week, and then Saturday gets here, and it's like ah, I'm fucking getting shit faced tonight. <laughs> Okay. I'm going to feel like shit the next day. Yeah. But ultimately, I'm not chronically doing that, or at least hopefully you aren't. So ultimately, it probably won't have a huge epigenetic effect, but it'll change how your body's interacting with its environment for that time being. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do it chronically, on the other hand, that's where you start to see really large phenotypic expression results. And parts of that are metabolic dysfunction. So our metabolism is how our body is able to actually process all of these different metabolites. And so, for example, glucose is a chain of different, uh, you know, molecules strung together. We're, now we're going to get really chemistry-ish, right? And so the point is, is that your body then breaks those chemicals down and uh, repurposes some of them for energy. And then it either excretes the rest or it utilizes them in some other function. Mm-hmm. Okay. That also then starts to play into um, other areas when you start eating like shit. And so the point is, is that you can start to affect your metabolism and have metabolic dysfunction where because of your chronic poor life choices and behavior, you start to see actual results where your body starts to not function properly because of it. Wow. Right? So it it gets really complicated. Yeah. And there's certain foods that do you really good when it comes to epigenetics and there's some foods that do you really dirty. Here's the point. Let's don't dive into diets, which is where we started with all this and where I wanted to go with it. Yep. I've now built the basis for you to probably understand what I'm getting at. Yeah. Let's talk about veganism. (laughs) Veganism is great. I think we found the title. Right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about veganism. (laughs) Vegans are, dude, if you want to be a vegan, all props to you. Yeah. I could never do it. No, I tried, I, I literally tried it for a day on a dare and I didn't make it to lunch. Because I'm so reliant on proteins. I, I live yeah. off of those proteins. Now, you want to know what's interesting is that your body tells you certain things without you actually knowing it. Some of us just don't know how to read those signals. When you become more familiar with nutritional sciences, it becomes a little bit more obvious. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you're craving something, your body probably needs that, right? Some people might just not crave protein. Now, granted, 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 they must crave protein to a sense. But they may not crave the texture or the sensory uh, inputs of meat. Can you change that? Can you change your sensory inputs that you want meat? Or say you get protein from fish or you say you get from chicken and get from beef. Could you redirect yourself or at least that process to look for less so you crave it less? 
or is that oh, just yes. oh you most can. definitely okay and i'll jump into that here in a second talk okay. about my own experience with my nutritional experimentation okay but so veganism you were talking about oh yeah they feel great they do this they do that yeah the forks well, over knives to, yeah it. so doesn't surprise me one bit because plants have these things called phytonutrients or phytochemicals in them yeah that are great for you they have a lot of those really micronutrient based effects that make you feel great. It's the difference. You can be a shitty vegan, right? You can be a vegan oh and my eat God, like yeah. absolute fucking shit. No, they they deep fry burgers. Yes. I was shocked. I went to, well, um, well they I would went deep to, fry like an impossible burger. They would deep right? fry like a veggie burger yes. and they would put all the nasties right on that burger. They can eat just as unhealthy as anyone. That's one thing that I've always exactly. kind of been shocked by because, you know, I'll, I play basketball, I run, I'm playing soccer, and the only thing I don't do a ton of is weightlifting just because my back's so, you know, fucked up. Yeah, you gotta be careful about that. But I've always kind of realized, especially from my cousin, uh, Elise, who is always telling me, you know, just because you're vegan doesn't mean you're healthy. She's vegan. Yeah. And she's like, I really gotta watch what I'm eating a lot of times because it's a wild west there. It's not commonplace to watch what's on the vegan diet it's put on you yeah and a lot of times if you go to a restaurant like i have i've gone to a vegan restaurant stuff is just as crappy as anything else it's just it's not mcdonald's bad but no. it's up there yeah it's still yeah. I, I was shocked by the burgers especially veggie burgers i was amazed but i'm um, pushing this off topic go ahead continue on your on your journey <laughs> no, I mean, it makes, it makes sense. I, so all I'm getting at is you can be a great vegan. You can be a shitty vegan. So veganism isn't, uh, you know, an end-all, be-all. It's mm-hmm. not like, well, you should go vegan. It's like, you can be a shitty vegan. Yeah. The shittiest thing you can do as a vegan is not supplement certain things because this is the really interesting part. And I wish I would have thought about this earlier. I probably could have remembered exactly what it is that you're usually deficient in. But you can only get certain things from meat. Mm-hmm. Like what? Certain micronutrients, like vitamins, okay, that you need to live. And I'm blanking on what the main one is. I want to say it's folic acid, but I don't think that's no. It can't be because we supplement that in bread. I forget exactly which one it is. Vitamin B12, maybe. Um. Anyways, the point is, is that you need you need those things. So you can supplement them and be just fine just fine but the issue is what is it what is the internet um it says meat is a major source of living b complex vitamins yep i mean probably b12 b12 and b12 b12 is the big one if you do not have b12 you have reserves that'll probably last you i think it's like a couple of years but ultimately if that starts going away you're going to have major complications in your health like what if i remember right it has something to do with nervous system interactions but again, I don't know. That would be something to look up. But the point is is that, yeah, okay, veganism is great. Um, more phytonutrients um, are going to make you feel good because you're actually eating good. Um, but you can be a shitty uh, vegan. So I think if you're a, a person that just doesn't have a natural inclination towards meats, okay, do what you want to do. But make sure that you're being healthy by supplementing these other things that you need that you're not getting from meat. And I don't think that that's something that's talked about enough. Mm-hmm. I think people just, like, put this golden aura around, like, veganism. Like, oh, my God, it's so healthy. It's yeah. so much better for the environment. No. It's so great. Yeah, and it's, it's like, 
you can you can still kill yourself the same way you can with a vegan diet, just as you can with a standard American diet. Okay. So then you start talking about other diets. What are some other ones you could think of? Carnivore is one you brought up, right? Carnivore is one I think Carnivore it's better to stay away from. Because fascinating. It's, it's fascinating, but the thing that I'm freaked out by it, I was going to try it for October. I thought that could be my Silver October deal because it's one of those. Try it. It's only meat and water. Try it. I know. That's the thing, though. I'm, I'm freaked try out it. by it because I will eventually, but it's so, it's still so much in the dark. It, you know, of course. Jordan B. Peterson throwing up because he had a little bit of sugar, you know, it just... Yeah, so that has to do with epigenetics. So your body becomes programmed then to become hyper-efficient at processing those other things. Now, Jordan Peterson is an interesting example because he has very serious autoimmune issues. Well, his daughter even more so. Yeah, and so they did it as an elimination diet in order to find the foods that they're allergic to, which reasonably could be everything. Okay, that's not an unreasonable th- or an unrational thing, or irrational thing to say. Mm-hmm. They could be allergic to everything that is not meat. I don't know why. Could be. What would, in your perspective, be the benefit of a carnivore diet? Just straight meat and water. Well, so the big benefit, and this is the thing that goes for all quote-unquote diets, right? Is they cut out sugar. No. Or at least you hope they do. You can be a shitty vegan and eat a lot of sugar. But I think that's why carnivore... And fat-based diets, such as the ketogenic diet, are so fascinating because they um, stray from talking about certain food groups being the enemy, and they start talking about macronutrients being the enemy. And so this is something you got to be really careful about, right? Because ultimately, I don't think carbs are the enemy. I think certain types of carbs are the enemy. Okay, so we don't want we don't want to put a label on an entire group. Because that's what people start to call in the nutritional community fad diets. Well, what would be a carb, just to give people an idea, of what would be a, a carb that would be considered an enemy in your mind and a carb that wouldn't be an enemy? Are you talking like, uh, well, shoot, you go yeah. ahead. So, for example, vegetables okay. are carbs. Good. I got no problem with vegetables. Yeah, man. they're great. They're great. Yeah. They're absolutely great. Steam them. Sugar. Carb. Bad carb. Bad, bad carb. Bad carb. Soda. I think everybody knows that soda's not good for you. All yep. that is is sugary carbs. Oh, dude, I got it. That's all it is. I'm addicted to Dr. Pepper. That's all it is. I got it. But then it. the really scary part is they're not using cane sugar. That's really interesting to See, me. See, so now back, we yeah. have the basis of information that I laid out on the table earlier. Yeah. So you understand epigenetics. Mm-hmm. So tell me why you think not using actual sugar would be bad. Oh, God. Well, now you caught me. Give me your guard. best interpretation. My best interpretation of why using fake sugar, yeah, because it's not organic. It's not something right? that your body's used to processing. Yes. So basically, you're yes, fucking ben. up your whole immune system. Yes. And when you're coming in, it's like pouring a different kind of oil into a old ding, mint ding, car. Ding, 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 it ding, ding. Somebody's getting a participation trophy. I don't want no damn participation. <laughs> I'll give you a medal. <laughs> oh, don't give but, me a medal. But that's you know the what point. I'll do you if you I get hit you the nail. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. It's that's the issue when you start using. Um, Man, I'm really blanking. Uh, it's late, so don't worry. What is the the name of the the fake sugar we use again? It's um oh the one from corn high high fructose corn high, syrup. High fructose corn syrup. Thank you. That's that's the thing that we've used. Um, that is you know blah that's been blah around since what the fifties. Dude, there's it? that's a whole different topic. Just write it down. Some I'll write uh, it down for you, and we'll talk about again. It I could day. talk about this for over a day. The well, point is, that's is that, why you're a guest here. Yeah. 
the point is is that your body isn't meant to process that it doesn't actually have any precise nutritional qualities it's just a bunch of bullshit so the difference between carbohydrates in vegetables and carbohydrates in sugar is that carbohydrates and vegetables are going to have more phytochemicals more nu- micronutrient value to them and sugar can have some of that value if it comes from cane sugar where you're actually getting some of that plant matter in the in, in the chemical breakdown but when you start using this extract that is just purely some weird sugar dextrose looking thing your body just is like what the fuck is that <laughs> And it starts having this inflammatory response, and it just doesn't know what to do with it. And then we start talking about diabetes, and we start talking about this thing called the glycemic index, which is how much your blood sugar is spiked by certain carbohydrates that you consumed. And this is where I get really into it, because there's a lot of different theories that could be supported in this scenario. Mm -hmm. Calories is one of those. Some people think calories are bullshit. I am one of those people, and this <laughs> is where I make enemies. Oh, God. Well, let me just uh, mute my mic and leave for a bit, and you just go at it. <laughs> I, I really could. No. I mean, the, the quick version is there's – Don't a, give me the quick version. Tell, yeah. Give me the – cut the BS. There's a, there's a tell me what's going on. Of, there's, a, there's a couple of different theories okay. as to why we get fat. One of them is the caloric model, and I'm sure everybody's familiar with this, at least to a colloquial sense. I'll explain it. The caloric model is you have a certain metabolic expenditure every day, right? Your basal metabolism is what we call it, that you burn. And so when people are like, man, that guy has a good metabolism, he's able to burn more calories. So calories in a physical sense is energy. Um, I want to say one kcal or one kilocalorie um, which is a base calorie that we would talk about, like when we're talking about like chips or whatever it yeah. is, is like the um, the amount of energy that it takes for water to change one degree Celsius or something like that. Okay. So it's about a movement of molecules. It's very complicated, but also very important because it changes how we look at this thing. Yep. Which is why you can't always know exactly how this stuff works from the base level. <laughs> so you start talking about kilocalories. Well, the issue is is that there is certain things that completely disobey the laws of the kilocalorie model, which is, for example, if you have a thyroid disorder, you will fucking store fat like none other. And it's because your body doesn't function based off of a caloric model. It functions off of a cellular model. And what's going on in the cells is hormones are interacting with your cells in order for them to either... Um, uh, create lipogenesis which would be fat creation mm-hmm. lipolysis which would be fat breakdown or all the different things so uh, glycogen uh, glycogenesis which would be the, the creation of glycogen which is the storage unit for glucose okay yeah there's all these different models of looking at it um, and so the point is um, that when we start looking at this stuff, from my perspective, the other model, which is like the hormonal model or the uh, insulin response model, is I think where people get it more right in my mind. And so I'm very fascinated about the debate between these two. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I, I you know, 
have my hat at the moment, if you will, okay. is that I've looked a lot into this, and I just I'm a big believer in the fat insulin model, which is we have this natural progression of our blood glucose levels. Mm-hmm. When it's high, our body has an inclination towards fat storage. When it's low, our body has an inclination towards fat st- uh, uh, breakdown, and that is because of insulin the hormone that most people probably know through diabetes. Insulin is a response to glucose being in the bloodstream. So when we consume carbs, it gets broken down into unit functional units called glucose. Yep. Think of it as energy, essentially. Yep. This is glucose is like the universal energy model. Plants produce it. Yep. We yep. consume it. it yep. Think of it as a physical version of hydrogen or CO2 to H or to oxygen, O2. Sure. It's our energy that we run through the body. It's yeah. an essential part of what we are. It's C6H12O6. Nice. I know shit. All right, chemistry. Well, I've, I've, I've always been fascinated chemistry. with... Chemistry. Yeah. I'm, unfortunately, yeah. But no, I, I used to be really interested in that because i am always been really interested in how we eat things. But continue. Go yeah. ahead. I'm no, I mean, you bring up... So, again, you know, we, we start going down that lane and... The, so insulin is the the pancreas produces insulin from what's called the beta cells on the islet of Langeus, which is a functional and anatomical unit of the pancreas, which is a, a major organ in our body. Okay. Insulin gets released in response to a spiked blood glucose level being raised because insulin's job is to take that glucose from the bloodstream and transport it to cells that need it. Okay. When our blood glucose is chronically high, right? So we go back to that difference between acute and chronic. When it is chronically high, our body starts storing a lot of fat. Okay. That is... Because we're producing more than we need, so it stores it. I'm just making sure. We're consuming more than we need in most cases. Okay. Okay. And so then the body goes, holy shit, we need to store this. And so it does that. In diabetes, the issue that arises is there's type 1 and type 2. In type 1, it's an autoimmune disorder, so your body actually destroys those beta cells that I was just mentioning, which causes so that insulin just isn't produced enough. In type 2, you have a chronic blood sugar level that's always high that makes it so that insulin's response in the body becomes insensitive, Mm -hmm. meaning that the body starts going, I don't care anymore. (laughs) Insulin does nothing for me. And so that blood glucose starts rolling around the system. So instead of being brought to cells to be utilized, it immediately gets put into storage. Yeah. And so that latter example, apart from diabetes, is why I think we have an obesity problem in the United States of America. So this gets back to epidemiological studies. Why do I think they're bullshit? Because I don't think we've answered the issue of obesity. Now, obviously, nutrition is more about just than fat storage, right? And fat is a relative thing and a little subjective. In yeah. Roman and Greek era, being fat was a sign of wealth, yeah. right? And now we think skinny's, you know, the the new in, right? Trim, yeah, yeah. skinny. With being muscle. fair skin versus being tan—that's another thing that's changed over the the history of time. It used to be that if you were fair skinned, it showed that showed that you were wealthy because you didn't have to work out in the fields. But now we like it if you're tan. Being yeah. dark-skinned is, like, a very attractive quality. Sexy. Yeah, right? It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so within that, I just don't think that the models that we have fit it. Now, the reason why the insulin model makes so much sense to me is because the standard American diet is all fucking sugar. 
and sugar has a very high glycemic index, meaning that it spikes our, our blood sugar levels a lot. And so then our body must become chronically insensitive to insulin's response, and then all of that energy just goes straight into storage instead of actually being efficiently utilized for energy in the system. Mm. That's why I think we have an obesity problem. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot for me to unpack right there. Yeah. So I'm just kind of taking it. It is a lot. Yeah. And that's why it's so complicated. Now, you want to know what makes it really complicated? No. Because I'm the, still unpacking the we first We have part. the USDA and we have the FDA and major super PACs getting political with us. Oh, And so yeah. we have food companies um, promoting and lobbying so that laws are made about specific things. And so a lot of this, I think, is disinformation. And I think the best thing that you can do for yourself is to learn more about nutrition. And this goes for everybody and see what works for you. So we were talking about carnivore diet. Carnivore diets are weird and a little scary because there isn't much research done on them. Here's the interesting yeah. part. Well, the you can part get, is, you can yeah. get all of the nutrients that you need except for vitamin C and meat. Every, that, yeah, I've heard about everything. That. Yeah, everything. Insane. You can survive off of meat alone. Isn't that weird? It, it is freaky to think about one thing being the universal food. Right? Yeah. Vitamin C that is the only simple. one. So when you have a vitamin C deficiency, you would expect that you would start to see scurvy, which, you know, is <laughs> funny to think about, but that's why pirates got scurvy because they didn't have fruit on their fucking ship. Yeah. But then... They're, nobody's getting scurvy when they're doing carnivore diets. There are people that are have been chronically doing carnivore diets for decades, and they do not have scurvy. And wow. nobody knows how to explain it. I love that. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. You want to know what I think is annoying and why I get mad at dietitians and other people? Well, I'm trapped they, in the room with you, so yeah. They don't think it's interesting. <laughs> wow. Really? They're just like, that's bullshit. Don't do it. You're going to die. Blah, blah. And it's like, no, these people have been doing it. They have been doing it, mm-hmm. and they're not getting scurvy. Why? Look at that is such that that contradicts all of our medical knowledge. Why? That is such an interesting question. Yet nobody wants to look at it. Yeah. That's usually the tragedy of most science is that people are disinterested and they don't even want to attempt it. Yeah. You know, it really is with the carnivore diet. I've been waiting to see if any papers are filed about it, and no one's really interested there in doing be. it. I'm sure there are a couple, and I'm sure we'll. I'm start sure to they're see coming. It will take about three or four years before somebody really. It takes a while. Yeah, it takes a while. So I, I really don't know what the situation will be on it, and really the only thing we can learn about it is from a philosopher from Jordan B. Peterson, who's stumbled on this diet by accident. Yeah. Really, you know, it was yeah. because this was the last resort yeah. that him and his daughter have done. Well, so, you know, and so th- that's here and there. Again, I think most people are going to be fine if they eat all the traditional macronutrients and you don't necessarily need to cut it out. I think the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is to be mindful of your blood glucose levels. And so the way that I do that personally is through intermittent fasting. But I don't like that term because it's too inclusive of too many things. So I like to call it or what it is called, is time-restricted feeding. Yeah. I typically, I'm a college student, I get bad at this sometimes, especially on the weekends like right now. I typically eat within an eight-hour window. Which means that I typically like to start eating at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the afternoon and then stop at either 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, depending on that start time. Yeah. 
I found that that works brilliantly for my body. I've actually realized that too. I stopped eating one meal a day. I went down to two, and then I had a very small snack, if that. But I have a huge, like, early lunch around 11, mm-hmm. and that's usually just loaded with chicken, Breakfast rice. Breakfast never agreed with me. It never felt good. I felt lethargic after I felt low in energy. Well, they don't serve any... This is also cutting into the, yeah. the stuff that we eat in general at the yeah. Reef. But it, I just never... It never kicked with me. What, Proteins know, were usual. What are like breakfast chicken. foods? Well, I've always had chicken what for are, breakfast. What are breakfast foods? Tell me what a breakfast food is. Breakfast foods like pancakes, waffles, sausage, you know. Sugar, sugar, sugar. Yeah. Maybe some meat. Well, Eggs, always, eggs and yeah. meat are great. I love eggs. I love yeah. sausage. I love it all. I ate a ton of eggs but growing up because we lived on a chicken the farm. The thing but that people uh, are always like, oh, my God, I love breakfast food, is like, I love French toast. <laughs> I love pancakes. Well, have you I ever had chicken and waffles? waffles and sugar, dude? You you gotta eat some chicken waffles once in a while. I've, I've never I've never done that before actually. Chicken for breakfast is actually and there's nothing good. wrong with eating waffles and sugary stuff, especially yep. if you're an active individual. I think exercise is the greatest modality to counteract 99 percent of what I'm talking about, but the timing is the issue. Yeah, first thing in the morning, sleeping and being awake have two completely different chemical processes in your body. And for some people like myself, I believe I am a night owl. And my body probably has a tougher time waking up in the morning, literally waking up, not figuratively. Like, it probably has a turnover period that is much longer than most people for my hormones and for my chemistry, my biochemistry, and yada, yada, yada. So within that context, my body probably isn't ready to start processing a meal in the morning. Is this why they tell you not to work out early in the morning or to run early in the morning? Because a lot of that energy would actually be just kind of wasted. I've always heard don't do push-ups, don't do sit-ups first thing in the morning because it's not exactly the best thing for you. You want your body to wake up fully because you're more likely to hurt yourself and also that energy doesn't react to your body. I think that might be a different issue. Okay. I don't think that necessarily comes Another podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, there's probably some interconnectivity, but it's not as not as clear-cut as what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the point is, is that my time-restricted feeding cuts down on that at time when I'm in that point. Now, I'm also then in a starved state where that means if I'm doing eight hours, that means for I'm fasting 16 hours chronically, right, every, every day, mm-hmm. 16 hours. That's through sleep. But that means by the time I get to the morning – most of my quick energy reserves in my muscle cells are probably actually already used up. Now, the only way to get more energy, apart from high-intensity workouts where you start to break down other emergency reserves, is through fat. And so because I'm starving myself of energy, and then I continue to use it without replenishing it through eating, my body starts to break down my fat reserves in order to utilize energy. And you're not doing Which it at a pace. Which is why I think yeah. working out in the morning is actually a great idea if you fast. Well, and I, I think that's I'd an interesting, interesting idea. i to see what you were looking into. But. Well, it was always something that was told to me that you don't want to put your body in shock. And it was compared the, similar the to that. The injury thing makes sense to me. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things. I've never been a morning workout person. I like a night Same. workout. I'd rather would – because I, I grew up – Playing games. That was my exercise. I never grew up with weight training. But if you want to see never grew good results, mixing it up would really Oh, help. yeah. Well, I always flipped between running, basketball, because basketball is my full body, and just keeping a rhythm yeah. for me is huge. But running was always the one that I was pushing myself like crazy. I love running. I love the intensity of it. I love pushing my mind to it. 
but I, I need Very to get mentally better. taxing. Yeah, and that's always been something with me because I, I try to be more patient every single time I run and <laughs> every time yeah. you try to come Trust a me, I'm, I'm starting to get more into it, and it, but, it's tough. But it's a uh, fun mental I got to get more into weight training. The problem is I just never had somebody that you could depend on yeah. to come in and do it with me. Yeah. Because now one of my Feel best free to friends. Come out with me. Oh, yeah, I probably will. Well, one of my best friends, Jonah, who goes to Benedictine College, he's the PA I was talking to you about yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. He's now sponsored by a group to lift weights. So he's nice. kind of my default buddy, but he's in Kansas, Atchison, Kansas. Yeah. So it's hard to Makes get to it him. tough. But, yeah, I'll probably hit it up with you. But it is interesting that you say to go that 16 hours and slowly burn off the fat. Don't do it all in one day. I find those 90 PXI, whatever it's called – I don't I don't know. It never seemed very real to me and I think it was always something that was interesting is people would burn the fat so quickly that all of a sudden your body's trying to be like, Wait, I had all these yeah, reserves just a minute ago. Like that doesn't work. I now, just had this. People's just a critiques ago. of time restricted feeding is gonna be, Well, you can't be consistent with that and I argue that I'm more consistent with that than I am with a lot of other things in my life. <laughs> Consistency is key when it comes to nutrition and your health. If you are consistent with the time that you eat, the amount that you eat, the type of foods that you eat, your body will be better for it. Now, you need variety within that context, but consistency is key. Mm -hmm. And so the point is, is that, yeah, if you make your body start methylizing certain DNA strands so that you start having a, an inclination towards that lifestyle, if you all of a sudden change it, your body can have a negative response. And that's why, for example, you know, Jordan Peterson may have been able to eat glucose in the past, but now that he's been doing carnivore for so long, yeah, his body is up. so adjusted to fat and protein metabolism that any carbs are going to fuck the shit out of his system. Oh, yeah. Sugar even worse. Yeah. Sugar. Because of that high glycemic index. Yep. Body, his body doesn't know what to do. Man. Crazy. So within that context, I think – kind of getting at the overall scheme of this is when it comes to diets i think diets are very individual i think that you can do a good majority of diets and still do it healthfully i don't think necessarily that there is one diet that is the answer for everybody i think it really depends on your ancestry your genetics uh, what's been passed down to you what feels right for you and you just got to educate yourself on the fact that stuff like carnivore may be scary and i definitely wouldn't want to necessarily recommend it because nobody knows the long-term effects but, dude, if you're struggling with managing your weight, it may be that you could be allergic to something. You could have a bad insulin response. You could be eating during bad times of the day. Like, there is so much that goes into it, and you really just got to find what works best for you. Yeah. And stop having really people true. tell you what you got to do. You know your body better than anybody else. Yeah, I had a teacher once tell me that you're the world's foremost, foremost expert on yourself. Yeah. You will never understand your own it's brain true. better. You're, you just have to be – you got to take some control in your life, and you have to be able to initiate yourself and be like, I have to do this. Because at the end of the day, you literally have to change your own diet. No matter how many inputs you get, no matter how many people you talk to, you have to physically change your diet, and you have to listen to what your body's telling you. Yeah. It's – yeah. It is a really interesting thing with diet because it's every th it's an everyday thing. Yeah, you know, it's like anything else. Yeah, exercise, yeah. mental health. I I personally think fasting is probably the the, the biggest answer for me personally or to my health. Just eating less. Just don't go out there and just if you're eating three yeah. meals a day, well, don't and take I think three I think full plates. It's there, okay and to there go are some back. people that probably really need breakfast, 
because you know they're kind of like or that's their time of the day yeah and it's just like that works best for them i personally find that i'm sharpest in the morning when i have nothing to eat and there is science to say that when you starve yourself a little bit and you don't always have like an over exaggeration of food coming in you have kind of a flight or fight response so your body's constantly like on edge and I think that's where people start to talk about feeling better because they don't feel as weighed down by the lethargic property of their blood sugar dipping so hard. Yeah, it's definitely true for boxers. I've talked to a lot of boxers about that where they, they go onto this diet for three months and their body changes right before the fight. And they're like, man, I feel really good. I feel sharp. And then they drop that diet, but they continue to work on. There's like, I don't know what it was, but I was just in this golden era right when I was about to fight. It's like, well, yeah, you were keeping a consistent workout routine with the times you were eating. Yep. You had a you had a rhythm. You had something to yourself. Sorry, I got to sneeze. Go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's fascinating stuff, man. Now, what I find really fascinating, what I was getting at earlier when we were talking, is that those are two dads. There's certain right topics. <laughs> Damn. Dad? Light there, a cigar. I'm a father. Oh, my God. Congratulations. Thank you. There, there are certain things that I think anybody can bring up that obviously become contentious in a, in a conversation. We can name them. Religion, politics. Oh, yeah. I mean, what else? I don't know. Race, Religion, culture. politics, skin color, right. gender. These are all uh, big things that people just yeah. like. It's because they identify with it, right? It becomes yeah. part of their own identity. That's how so they when would you, introduce themselves. Yeah. yeah. It's so, so when you start having a conversation about it, it almost becomes a little personally offensive because you identify with it so strongly. Yeah. You can get this on both sides of the aisle. This is not a left or right issue. I mean, no, I, God, I'm, no. I'm Catholic, and I, right I sometimes feel that when people are super hyper judgmental about Catholicism. I understand where they're coming from, but, like, you know, it's part of my identity, so I get a little offended. Now I can remove myself with that understanding, but some people no. can't. And gender is a really big one that people get on all the time. Now, there's certain topics that admit the same response that I would have never expected. Oh, yeah. This is definitely one. Like this diets. is talking about diets is definitely one. It's so weird. I asked a dietitian what she, like, I didn't know she, that was her major. And I said, well, what are you studying? And immediately it was a backpedal because there was, on top of that, she wasn't the greatest student. But <laughs> but it is one of those Well, I wanted topics. to be a nursing major, but I couldn't do that. So now I'm nutrition. No, yeah. It's <laughs> like the sorority girl that wants to be a nurse. It's like, sorry, honey, that bus sailed. Uh, <laughs> no, this one was, but... Uh, it is. It's surprisingly a hot button topic because people feel very personable about what they like. Yeah. Well, and, and food I think, is a definite. And it's not just about one. what you like, right? It's also about the results that you have seen, and that's what yes. I find and why I get so heated about this because I've seen a lot of results on the stuff that is atypical to what most people would find are good quality diets. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why this whole entire thing got started for me and why I got so fascinated by it. Because I'm like, how is it that everybody can tell me that this is wrong, yet I'm seeing the greatest results from it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, wow. I think that's just kind of what I've, what I've outlined uh, throughout this whole entire conversation. What, but, yeah. but it's just interesting. I mean, identity is such, is such an interesting conversation nonetheless. I mean, we can, we can tangent away now from nutrition and talk a little bit about identity in general. And I, I just think that that is such a wildly fascinating point. I mean, I, I wrote yeah. something down here. No, identity is its this whirlwind right now because people really are having a hard time grappling with what's my identity, and they tend to anchor to one thing and define themselves by one individual idea, whereas most people are a construct of many, many things that all come together, and it's hard for people to kind of go away from one thing to another. It drives me crazy when I have a conversation, especially like this. I'll have people on the show – 
and we talk about, you know, one thing forever. It's like, well, that's all great and dandy that you play basketball or you play football. But what does it mean as an athlete to be in this relationship with all people across who are competing in sports? Or what does it mean to be a man of color across all people of color? It's, there's this very hard time to look back away from the lens that you're so commonly used to looking through and seeing everyone all together. Yeah. And this is common with a lot of different people, that they're used to anchoring in one idea or maybe two. Um, one of the biggest ones I had is I've got a lot of friends in LGBTQ, and they identify through LGBTQ. But I'll, all the time I tell them, you're so much more than just gay. You're a brilliant physicist. You're a brilliant this. You're you're a wickedly talented artist. There's so much more than just coming all of that back on I'm LGBTQ and because of that identity I was able to stem out from here. Sure, that can be true in some natures, but you got to also take the full capsule of what you are as a person into that. What type of mind you were born with? One tree, many branches, and some people get so fascinated on one branch. I agree. I think a lot of women feel that on a daily basis, and that's so with their so, with I their physical attractiveness, yeah, and how people will make comments about, "Man, you look beautiful," or like blah blah blah. And it's like sometimes that's the exact opposite of what a girl wants to hear when you're flirting with them. Sometimes they want to hear you have a beautiful smile, yeah, you have a great personality. I really enjoy spending time with you, and you know that's that's just from my own personal experience. But like I've no, heard I'm women talk you. about it, where it's like they're more than just their bodies. Yep. And like that's that's getting into a whole different field, but it's it's the same difference, which is like we just we, we spend too much time on one singular identifying point and it just doesn't it doesn't give you anything. Now, I did a poll on that. I did a poll on what women want to hear and one of the most popular things that women want to hear is how witty they are. Oh, how really? creative. Yeah. Interesting. If you hear about somebody being funny, women are not typically considered very funny. So it's like an attractive quality if they are. Yeah, it's something you're engaging, you're witty, you're clever, you're, you know, you've got a very good intent about you, you're very fun to be around. Those are things women want to hear more than, oh, you're gorgeous, you're this, you're that. I I know from personal experience and working off of that poll, I did at Superior, my former school, and coming here, it seems to be very true. If you comment on somebody's ability as a person to navigate certain situations or their smarts or their ability to make you laugh that goes far deeper than just complimenting the other the outside yeah if you really compliment the inside there's something special about i i'm happy when people say man ben you make me laugh that goes a lot deeper than saying oh you're a very handsome individual right like i can't tell you how many times i've had oh yeah you're a handsome guy you're tall you're blah 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 because like physical features only go so far i feel like everybody is kind of just dealt a hand in that respect yeah it's the other stuff i feel like we take pride in oh yes it's like i when people tell me i'm like a hard-working individual because that's like, what your conscience is talking to yeah, yeah like, you're talking man, to that dude, part. like that feels good yeah um but yeah i think people play into identities a lot i love your lgbtqia plus whatever the acronym is at this point i just say lgbtq Right That's now, probably pretty inclusive. because it's so it's expanding every single month that yeah. I have a hard time I keeping everyone included. Is like the rest of it that I've heard. I just say Intersex, plus at the end if I can. And plus, yeah. yeah. Um, I like that example because I agree. I think people play up that identity way too much, and it's like I think you know the yeah. difference between the people. I think that there's some gay individuals that are very flamboyant, really identify yeah. with it, and then there's probably a lot of gay individuals out there that are very like, n- I shouldn't say normal, but like very stereotypically male or female for that matter yet they just have a sexual attraction towards the same gender and it's just like 
they don't play it up because that's just who they are. Yeah. And I and it, I don't I don't want to put that on other people as if that's the golden standard, but like I appreciate that a lot more because I feel like I can have very open-ended conversations with those people because they don't take it that seriously. And there's not the and I understand why other people yet. take it seriously. It's just you know, sometimes I feel like the conversation just gets blown out of proportion. Yeah. But again, that's another conversation. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack there. That will, it's going to take. That could be a whole another podcast. There's going to be many because there's so much to just socializing and what we do and how we describe ourselves, especially as a guy who studies communication in general. And I love social theory. I love how we talk to each other. I love how we express each other, express ourselves to each other, especially through internet mm. and how much that breaks okay. down the wall. But Interesting point. A great segue. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Well, the, well, the, well, the segue go is ahead, from, from, an ide- from an identity point of view, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know how involved with Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is for you is, but for me as a person, I'm not involved for the show. However, that's very different, right? Because I, I treat outlet. social media as a place for me to share content in which I find to be milestones in my life or fun things that I have done that I want to share with the community. Yeah. So for me, it's like a platform for people to keep up with me. Not everybody uses social media like that. Mm-mm. And it's very interesting because that may be how I'm intending to use it, but others might be interpreting it or perceiving that much differently than I am intending it. Yeah. And it's because social media has become a platform for every individual. And yeah. it's very, very fascinating because I don't think enough people understand it or treat it as such. And so the issue becomes that I may not see a person for months at a time because we go to different schools, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just don't see them around campus. And my way of keeping up with them is through social media. But their social media, I could be perceiving that entirely different from who they actually are. So there's people I haven't seen in years because we went to different schools and they moved out of state, blah, blah, blah. And I just know them through their social media. They could be an entirely different person in real life. That's actually happened to me. And there are many moments where you find that. People tell me that all the time, that I do not imitate my social media. I don't really get why they say that because I'll post these pictures. They're very wholesome pictures. And then they'll meet me in real life and they're like, you're much Wait, stronger you're, of a personality than I thought. You're much more nuanced than a 2D picture. No, they think I'm some uppity kid from like you know exactly very I probably give off the same thing yeah because i post a lot of pictures of my family and cool stuff that i do and yeah. achievements that i have i don't post a whole lot of like no content I'm not, necessarily i'm not posting pictures of me at thanksgiving dinner with my family with some hashtag blessed yeah you know little cheap thing i like to live through moments and people are very surprised by when they see pictures of me online they're like i thought you'd be different i didn't think you'd be as engaging i thought you would be very right? living through your phone or I thought you'd be very reserved because you're not a poster the way that other people are. I wouldn't see you as an engager because you're not mm-hmm. engaging in the social media online yeah. outlet. So I think identity like that is really interesting. Yeah, I used is. to have clear frame glasses. Oh, those are nice though. Kay. But yeah, I love the look of them. <laughs> yeah, but everybody thought I was like a total liberal, and it's like, oh, newsflash. I'm much more nuanced than that, right? Uh, like you can't box me. <laughs> I love we're boxing you out. Well, no, it's like, so we compartmentalize. That's what I was getting at earlier, and, like, this is what I know about neurology. 
is that the way that we function and the way that we classify is by putting things into groups. So if you say I'm a Catholic, if you say you're a Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, gay, straight, white, black. All variations. The yeah. point is, is that immediately our minds start to pinpoint what that means in our head. Yeah. And we have descriptors that go along with what those words mean. Mm -hmm. And so... The issue becomes that when you start defining yourself like that, people may have different descriptions for what those mean than you do. And so I think it's best to not give people descriptors yep. and to have them learn about who you are through conversation rather than anything else. Couldn't agree more because I've had trouble with people who, especially with my friends in LGBTQ that have problems with anxiety of social just interaction. They have a huge problem with that. And I've always said, why don't you guys specifically just two that I can think of. I won't say their names because we're talking about anxiety and we're talking about social problem. I've always said, you guys have so much more to give than just being gay. You have so much more to give than just being a lesbian. You're more than just one thing. It's a wonderful part that you're able to express with us. I really appreciate that you're able to be honest. But you have so much or more. happy that they can be honest. Exactly. I'm happy that you're able to be honest. But I want to see the full person. Clearly there's a creative side. Clearly there's a drive. Clearly there's something there love, passion, whatever you want to call it that pushes you forward and gets you out of bed every day. Being straight for me does not get me out of bed every day. Right? That's not what I'm after. If I was if I woke up every single morning thinking of girls, I wouldn't be doing half the stuff I'm doing right, right? now. There's something else there yeah. than sexuality. And there's something else there. And that's why I hate this whole entire right? conversation. Because not our conversation, but that the the general overarching conversation. Good, because you hurt my feelings. Though. Yeah. No, well, you're yeah. <laughs> We'll let that be. Um, I hate that conversation because it it makes you try to classify people, and I, I just think it's wrong. Yeah. I'm more than white. You're more than black. You're more than just being a transgender individual. You're more than being gay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There's so much more to you. You know, you would never know by looking at me that I'm a cancer survivor, and that is exactly. an identifiable quality for me. Or Logan right? survived. You know, we're the ward. Yeah. You know, yeah, this, this apartment stuff. is known as the ward because the four people that live here are all some sort of medical issue. Uh, or mental issues. Right, so yeah, so, you know, uh, Logan Diabetes. is a type 1 diabetic. I'm a cancer survivor. Another one of our friends struggled with clinical depression. Mm -hmm. And another one is a legal orphan. Yep. And mm -hmm. has not had a steady home life most of his uh, life. Yeah. And, you know, above all, we persevere and we, we like to joke about it because that's kind of our defense mechanism. Just random off topic. I was thinking about calling. We'll do a group discussion every month of those guys and we'll call it the ward. I thought ward. it'd be funny. The ward. You know, it's just like. The ward. God, don't even. Oh. In the worst. <laughs> I don't even. <laughs> I'm just going to skip that. Yeah. No, but I mean, so, yeah, you know, you would never know that by looking at me. I think that's kind of the issue that I run into most of the times when it comes to race-related conversation. Um, I think that there is a lot of great points brought up in a lot of those conversations with when it comes to privilege, when it comes to uh, bringing into historical context and stuff like that. But then I think that we want to place it in boxes, and by doing so, we cut out a lot of groups that it just doesn't make sense. And mm -hmm. we start, we just start, we start diminishing other qualities. Yeah. So privilege is one of those ones that kind of starts to frustrate me a little bit because it's like I understand that I have privilege. Yeah. I'm not going to deny that. No. But I what could I go will to say any is, time in history, is and that there would be that, a table reserved you know, for me. That is not linked to being white. Yeah. 
And that's that's where I struggle. And I, I guess I can understand where people are coming from from the conversation. So if somebody wants to talk to me about this, I mean, please, like I would love to. But I just I think my big issue or, or, or confusion or point of contention is I get that I have privilege because of the context in which I've grown. And I understand that in the United States, white individuals have been given that inclination easier and more readily than black individuals. What I am saying is, is that from a philosophical point of looking at this issue, you cannot clearly say and define an entire group of people based off of their skin color within a socioeconomic status. Because there are plenty of black individuals that are massively more wealthy than I am. So you can't say that that's a black issue and a white issue. It's an issue of where you've come from and where, you, where you're going. Like... So I think, I, again, I, I want to be empathetic to the issues in which people are, are struggling with. I really do, because I think it matters. And in, but it's, it's more complicated than that. It's more nuanced. You, can't, you cannot diminish it to that level. And then to, to be even more clear, I think that by bringing it to that level, you're simply turning the tables on the issue. So when we start making this into white people are the problem as you know the the trend seems to be you know i this is a college campus example i mean this is probably not how it is yeah the, this the is major, our little yeah, yeah this is the bubble we'll have i'm gonna have people on i'm hoping really soon to talk about this with me about issues with people yeah. you know just in general and i know I think that's, that's pretty great odd. i think we need more of that yeah but you know from that pr- perspective i don't think that's helping because the issue that minority individuals have been feeling for the past number of years is that they are being discriminated against. That's fucking horrible. But it doesn't help to then turn the tables and start discriminating other people based on their skin color. We're all human beings. Let's just treat each other equally. Mm -hmm. Why do we have to turn the tables? Like, let's just, let's just keep it sane here. And again, that's easy to say from my perspective, because I'm not the one necessarily being prejudiced against. It's just a general trend or feeling at the moment. Yeah. But you know, that's just something to keep in mind that I, I think about, and I just think it's really interesting. No, and I, I think that the interesting point for me is that, again, a, lo- a lot of that is kind of overemphasized and, you know, again, take take what I'm saying with a grain of sand, but ultimately I just like conversation, and I like to be able to talk about these issues, and yeah. I just think it's sad that we uh, put so much of our identity into some of these issues to the point where we don't even discuss them anymore. That I can, upsets I me can disagree like with else. you, no. and we can still be friends. That drives me absolutely crazy. That's one of the big things and the reasons I've had this show is I want conversation. I want people to talk to me. I want to disagree. I want to agree because I feel like if we can't have a community where we can make error, we'll never be able to learn full truth. And that drives me crazy when people segregate themselves after because if I don't agree with you, then clearly you're not able to be on my level and I'm going to leave you and you know what? You're just going to be the byproduct and you're going to be passed by. And I want to talk to the worst people. I want to talk to the best people. I want to talk to everyone because if you're not able to have a community serial there, killers, I've talked to them. I have been to prison. I've told you before. I went to a juvenile prison where people have killed their parents. I've talked to sex offenders who have done incredible harm to the community. If you are not able to hold a conversation with people, that have done error. You're not able to talk to people who've done justice or who yeah. think that well, you look up you're just to. D- you're diminishing their quality as a human person. And you're just not because they've done something wrong error. doesn't mean they lose their value as, a, as an integral human being. Yeah. And more importantly, yeah, it's shitty what they did, but 
and I don't mean to diminish that because there's obviously victims in those plays, but oh yeah, well you don't forget but, about but that when you're talking to them. But there's something to be learned. There's error to be made, and if you can't make error, then you can't find the truth. Yeah. It's like you said with science; it's not exact. It's never been exact. And if we can't find ourselves in a position where we can look at things and say, you know what, this didn't work, but at least it was mentioned. At least we were able to point at that and say, you know what, it's not this mysterious object sitting in the corner. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to approach it. Yeah, if you I'm going to put the scientific method on it. I'm going to see, can this work? Can we sustain yeah, this? There's, can no, we do there's this? no point in not approaching it. There's no point in sitting on your hands and being, you know, isolating yourself away from thoughts and opinions that you disagree with. Yeah. There's no or, reason to or sit on the your idea hands. that by some way you are the only one that is allowed to talk about an issue. That, yeah, that, that really frustrates me too. Well, I if you want to be like a I can understand all how certain all issues can be more personal to individuals and how you are obviously going to have a different perspective on it than me, but that doesn't mean I can't talk about it. Yeah. Like if yeah. we treated all that the same, you're never allowed to talk about cancer again in my presence. No, and I like, no, and if people were talking to me about, you know, AA or, you know, things with revolving around drinking, I don't drink unless it's a very special occasion. Right. Tonight is one of the only times I've drank. This is the fifth time in my life I've ever had a drink of alcohol. Yeah, man. Like, I can count that on my one hand. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. But, but I'm happy if that I'm we're enjoying a drink and having a fun conversation. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those situations where you feel safe, you feel like this is a valued moment, and this isn't a moment where... Alcohol is supposed to enhance anything. Yeah. It's supposed to be something where we use as we used it as social lubricant, we used it as a reason to kinda of get together to celebrate. We're not drinking very heavily. I told you no balls to the wall situation. I'm you are different than me. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a garbage can by my left foot that you <laughs> haven't seen since we started. <laughs> but uh Well, I'm losing my train of thought right there. But I always find that if we can't all open up and really express ourselves deeply and have an understanding of community, that we're actually supposed to share our thoughts, regardless of how obscure or how wrong or how right or whatever it may be. If you can't have that, that's not healthy. If you can't fully express yourself, you can go to therapy, and this is a baseline of therapy. If you can't fully express yourself and how you want to be seen or how you want to be heard, if you can't be able to say, I'm sad, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm hurt, then you're never going to solve a problem. And if you cover that up socially and you say, you know what, we're persecuted. Okay, well, let's talk about how. Let's see how we can make this better. How can I be seen as an equal to you? And how can you be seen as an equal to me? And how can that be done without you throwing speech at me that's trying to push me down and pull me down to your level? How can we all rise together? Equality is not giving everyone equally things the same. It's not like... There's a five-foot-tall man, a five-foot-five-tall man, and a six-foot-tall man standing in a fence trying to watch a race. Well, if everything was equal, everyone would get a box to stand on. Well, really, the shortest guy should get two, one guy should get one in the middle, and the six-foot guy shouldn't get any. That's equality, is giving everyone the equal opportunity to give a chance to succeed. And in conversation, we don't get that anymore. Right. Conversation, I can sit in a room like I did at Superior and go to an LGBTQ and not be LGBTQ, and absolutely get my ass handed to me because I'm not LGBTQ. Well, I'm fascinated. I want to know. Learn. I want to know why yeah. you guys feel harmed. I want to know why. But if I'm in tr going into your safe space, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to a place that you control. I'm out of my zone. I'm totally out of the control. You are in control. I'm, I'm 
going off topic here, but I, I just find that what we're doing right now defeats the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish mm. is we're trying to go after this free community where we're all equal. We're all able to stand and say what we need to say, but we're walking backwards. Yeah. We're pushing one person down or pulling rather. I call it a crab bucket when you, when you're in like red lobster yeah. and you see all the crabs in the tank, right? Well, crabs, the reason none of the crabs ever get out is because the one at the bottom will go to climb on the one above it. So they'll pull the other one down to lift themselves up, and then the other one pulls the other one down. That's why no crabs ever get out of the tank. Oh, my gosh. But that's what it that's is. That's so depressing. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> well, we're changing our name from the ward to the crab bucket. Crab bucket. But this is what crab conversation bucket. is now. Yeah. It's not open participation of errors. It's not open participation right. no, and of I think, community. I think you had a really interesting point, too, when you were talking about the box example and the, and the, the idea of uh, equal opportunity. I think that's great. I think what a lot of people are starting to try to argue for, though, that are on the extreme end is equal outcomes. And I think that's where it's dangerous. No, you got to allow people to be people. You got to allow individuals to have an individual Crash and outcome. Burn at your own accord. Yeah, and not everyone's going to succeed, and some people are going to hurt. That's just the nature of it. We all go through life, we all have problems, we all have success. And that's just a part of the nature of being a human being. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I think that a lot of these issues are so specific to our generation. And I think the big quality that I'm going to blame is social media. I just think that there is way too much identity, way too much personification, way too much misjudgment, misbehavior, not enough attention paid to actual genuine time and relationships and all of these things. It just makes social media such a fucking horrible thing. No, it's a mosh pit, really. I hate it. I hate every minute of it. And I habitually still use it. Well, Why? What do you want to join it's me addictive. on Sober October? You want to do Sober October? Because I'm going to do it. The apartment has been talking about it. Who? Uh, like the apartment here. I we've was going to do been it. Talking about it. I was going to do it. and Invite you guys. I was writing out At the, the rules. At the very least, I was going to do like a social media Sober October. I was going to do screen time. Ooh. I was going to cut screen time. You have to each week. You have to cut your screen time by half. So if you had say like your six hours, let's just throw out a number. Let's say your six hours. So week one, you have to cut it to three. Week two, you have to cut it to an hour 30. Yeah. And then you keep going down until the fourth week. So by the end, you only have like 15 minutes of screen time. And I'm at four hours. So the better you are, the harder it is. And it's like the equal opportunity for everyone. Is If Dan, I think Dan, last time I talked to him, he had like six or five, six hours. And I'm at four at the most. Usually I'm averaging around... Three th- or 335 is around my average, yeah. which is a lot. And that's not counting computer. This is just phones because we're accessing most of our social media through our phones. If we cut it down by half every single week, and then if we all did something like carnivore diet, I think that would be brilliant. I'm on it. Let's do it. You want to do it? Deal. Because I'll do a podcast at the end of the month. We should talk about it more. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. So, but, well, and I'm going to take a quick break because I got to piss like crazy. Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. I'm going to pause it real quick here. If you want to gather your thoughts, if there's yeah. any other things you want to say. Yeah. But uh, chips and wine, not the best thing to keep us going through two <laughs> hours. We're over two hours right now, just FYI. And I'm <sighs> sure you're feeling it. It's it's exhausting. I'm, I'm definitely getting there. Oh, yeah. I know. So we'll take a quick five-minute right. break. We'll refresh ourselves, and then we'll see how we go so to at. the end. All right, man. All right. See you in a five. All right. Sorry for the little break there. You know, nature how calls. You? Well, there's only two of us, so if there's more than, like, two or three, usually you can go to the I'm bathroom a, and a take a break, s- and people will take 
over for I'm me. I'm a paranoid schizophrenic. I could have sat here and just talked to myself. I don't want that. I don't want that in the Isn't show. That right, I Jimmy? think the content's weird. <laughs> Silly little guy. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you got for me? Hit me with it. So kind of to wrap this up, I know we've hit so many bases over tonight. It's been crazy. Really, it has been. We've covered a lot of ground. Especially. That was a lot. It was a lot. I know you're probably winded. You no, no, it's fine. And plus, this is the it. second podcast of my day, so <laughs> I've I'm I think I'm over around four or five hours worth of podcasting today, and I've got more coming. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm a little winded. Sorry, choking on a chip there. Need to work on your endurance, dude. Yeah. I, know. I know, but <laughs> um, but kind of to wrap this up, I think we'll bring two topics together to All close right. this off. We've talked about <clears throat> screens, and we've talked about diet. Mm. And one of the things that's a hot-button topic in my family right now is that eating with your phone. Ooh. Eating with your phone, is it a good, like... Like, can, phone, like phone eats first, or like phone's present at the dinner table? Phones, for example, not phone's present at the dinner table. Phone's present at the dinner table is more like attention deficit disorder or yeah. something like that. I'm talking like I've got my headphones on while I'm eating and I'm listening to a podcast, or I'm watching YouTube. Mm. And the theory is that if you're doing that, you're not paying attention to the income, like how much you're taking in, how much food you're eating, because your mind is focused on the conversation or the video at hand, and you're not focusing on what you're eating for the most part. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think there's something to that? I know there's no science to it right well, now that we see you but. you might be surprised so the, the big science that does surround that area that has been proven in a nutritionally psychological sense is the size of your plate okay so if you have a really big plate you're gonna try to fill it okay if you have a small plate you're still gonna try to fill it but then there's less room to actually fill okay and so forcing yourself to have to go back up and get more servings if you are still hungry is a better option than having the food readily at hand on your plate. Okay. So that, that's a studied thing. Okay. So that's true. Um, now, I mean, if we, yeah, if we just want to talk, like, theoretically, what I think about, like, eating with your headphones in, I mean, do you, so is the question, do you think that take you eat more? Yeah, take it from its worst perspective. Think hmm. of a video. So you're distracted eating. Right. What are you more likely to disregard how much you're eating? Like, you're totally throwing out... Your consciousness of I okay, so. I've got so much of yeah, this because you're taking your 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 body is a, a biofeedback system, uh -huh. and if you're if you're too distracted to even take in the feedback, you're not even going to realize. So I mean, we've been sitting here eating, you know, food and, and drinking as we go along, and we probably really haven't been paying too much close attention to how much we've actually been consuming. Not a lot, actually. I've been trying to keep slow tabs because obviously I don't drink that much. Yeah, we're eating chips and dip, which is like my enemy right now. Right. But but no, I I, time, I think yeah. there is something to be said there. I think that you could definitely distract yourself in the, in in not realizing your your feedback systems. I think that happens in a lot of different kinds of situations. I don't think it's just the computer, but that is a really interesting one. I think the bigger issue that you'd run into with eating in front of a computer is that, especially in the United States, meal times are such a social environment. Yeah, and so by limiting yourself there, you might just be kind of encroaching yourself on a more social uh, depression or anxiety. Yeah, it was brought up because I'm—that's my big problem. One of my bigger problems. I got many problems. I've got a lot of problems, Jack. <laughs> but I ninety-nine problems, but a Jack ain't one. Uh. <laughs> 
well, it's fine. Cringe yeah. hour's over. Yeah. We're done. Yeah, well, that's my whole life right <laughs> there. That's this podcast, pretty much. But at Superior, that's what I did. Because there's not a lot of people there that I, w- yeah. I was able to relate to because it was such a social drinking group. And I, at that time, hardcore no alcohol. In the room, I didn't want it around me. I didn't want to see it. None of that. So when you draw that hard-ass line, you know, I would eat a lot by myself, to be honest. So it is interesting about the social aspect. But I guess this kind of leads me into another question of what is your thoughts on social drinking? Because mm. that's been the topic for my month lately because I've been studying a lot about how we use alcohol as social lubricant. When it can go right, when it can well, go bad. Yeah. But as a college student, as especially as a senior who's been at this school four years. Well, and we're, we're a big drinking school. Compared to where I came from, not as much as you think. Okay. So I at Superior, we had quite a few, and I mean ragers. It'd be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday. Yeah, we're too academic for that shit. Well, because we only have four classes a week, or we only have four classes a semester, typically, uh-huh. the load typically. is different. You're demanded of much more. Yeah. And that's how I've always seen it. But at the same time, I've only been here two years. Yeah. And I'm not a social drinker. I've, I've never looked at drinking as an opportunity to learn who somebody is. I've just uh, seen it as an opportunity to shake a hand. You know, I think that there is a time and a place. Like, we're social drinking right now. Yes. Right? I think this is good. Yes, but, but I don't this, think that is you this can... the college party atmosphere? No, 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 no. So, yeah, from within. But I, I don't think that... Social drinking is only inclusive of the party atmosphere. I think it can mean so much more than that. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if we go out to a brewery like the Bad Habit okay. and we grab a beer, like that's my preferred environment with drinking. So I really like social drinking, but within the context of let's go get a good quality beer and sit down and have a fun conversation in an environment where we can connect and actually spend some quality time together. I totally agree with you in the sense that it's like in a party atmosphere. So, for example, there's a party last night over in one of the apartments just down over the way. Yeah. I was going there because I wanted to see some of my friends that live in that apartment. I walk in to a room full of people dancing and all visibly drunk. I saw and that on Snapchat. Yeah, and it it's like crazy. it's like it was fun for like five, ten minutes. But once I couldn't actually interact with people, which is how I get my social entertainment out of interactions with one another – it was just kind of draining. Yeah. I just didn't really want to be there. Plus, I wasn't nearly on the same level as any of those people. So I felt like I just wasn't in the right mindset, which I think is the dangerous part when we start talking about social drinking. Because it's almost like if you're not on the same level as somebody as far as like how much you've had to drink that night, you almost can't interact with them. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with social cues and our learned responses. And so, like, I don't know. I've learned to communicate with people in a certain way, and I think I can do it pretty well. But, like, some people in certain states of mind, like, are just more difficult to communicate with. Yeah. And alcohol does not do well with that. I mean, no. a few drinks like we've been having, I think, is very conducive to that social lubricant aspect. Once you get past that, though, it, you're not really talking to this person anymore. They're not yeah. going to remember 90% of what you said the next day. They're not going to be giving you good detailed responses of what they would actually think. They may be saying stuff that is out of context and out of what they would probably say well, when they're sober. And it's a really cultural thing to the Midwest because being able to go all over and see and live in different locations, you yeah. know, Michigan, it's not how they drink. It's a very Midwestern thing to just go hard every time you drink. And it's very usual that you go, as Dan likes to call it, I think he calls it the phantom zone, 
where you go oh, the so, shadow zone. The shadow zone. Yeah. That's right. The shadow realm. The shadow, the shadow realm. realm. Where you go so hard that you start seeing ghosts and you start leading an army towards Mordor. You know, like that's the type of thing that I'm so used to here now yeah. is that, and especially at Superior, this was true, where you just went as hard as you could. And that was the uniting factors. We're all going down on the ship together. And I don't think there's, I, I, I take the term itself, social drinking. Social is how it starts. Drinking is how it ends. Well, and there's so not a full social aspect to it sometimes. I would agree. I would agree. For example, there was a, a girl that was expressing interest in me, and I was like, well, you know, let's go grab coffee. Yep. Okay. Better move. Better yeah. move. Let's go grab a coffee. Let's go and sit down. Let's talk about it. I like to connect. I like to actually get to know them. I'm not a huge text guy. You no, know, you know I'll, how I am. I, so. I, I'll <laughs> honestly call you if I have something to say. I don't want to text all that out. No. Text message is like for quick communication for me. So when, when people want to sit there and have a full-blown conversation over text, it's honestly just exhausting for me. No, if I want to see your head, I'll see it in real life. I right? don't want to see words that you think. So that's that's really difficult for me personally. So the, the conversation just felt very forced, and I was in a bad mood. And uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit too much. We are going to grab coffee, and she's like, well, would you want to go grab a beer instead? And I'm like, no, not really, because it's like 4 o'clock in the yeah. afternoon, and I don't want to. I I don't want that to be how I interact with you. Work I wanna, through the clock. Start in the morning, get coffee, yeah. then maybe lunch, right? then beers, then maybe <laughs> some beers, right? But like, I I just got a little frustrated, and then it didn't end up working out that day. And then uh, we fast forward some more, and it's like, okay, we should probably actually sit down and talk about this. And it happened again, where I was like, you want to grab a coffee, and she's like, well, would you want to grab a beer instead? And I got kind of mad. Yeah. I was like, no. No, I don't. Like, I actually want to sit down and talk with you. And the unfortunate circumstance of this conversation was that I was going to sit down with her and be like, listen, like, I don't think that we would make a good couple. And, like, I, I need to be, I need to, like, have this conversation with you so that we can get past this and, like, have a mature adult conversation about how I just don't think that we're the right people for one another. And instead, and then instead, you know, it came off as frustrated and it was like, I, I don't. I don't want to go get a drink. And if you want to go get a drink, that's fine. But let me know because I have other things I need to be doing today. Yeah. And then it sprung down into a conversation of, of being overdramatic and and being uh, misunderstanding and misperceiving what people were saying over text message, including myself. Like, I'll take responsibility for that. But that's why I just struggle with it. It's like it would have been so easy if we could have just gone and sat down, had a coffee, and I could have explained all this. Yeah. But no, you're confining me to me needing to type it all out in such a way that the tone is expressed correctly. Well, my intonation that, can yeah. be progressed through text messages. It just it or doesn't work. Or that you work. interpret the tone. Yes. That you take the tone for yourself. How they interpret specifically. And so that's the stuff that really gets me. And, and a, a big issue I have with social media in general is I think a lot of people in our generation are socially averse. And they don't know how to, like, handle some of these more serious topics and conversations that they need to have. No, and that's especially why in here. the Midwest, passive-aggressiveness is so big. And so being able to send a long text message explaining how you're so frustrated about something for the last couple of weeks instead of just saying it to somebody is, like, somehow easier. But then it just leads to more confusion and more problems. And yeah. so I am always the person that will t tell you to your face if I have a problem. That's how you and, and it, I actually got to be friends because I made money off of writing scripts for comedians. Oh. That were just super bold. Gotcha. That just were like, no, no, yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. No, no, I'm not talking to you about that. Yeah. Being super frank and super forward was something that's easy to transcribe into writing. And I think that's how you and I started. Because I, I get how you talk being super forward. Because you'll tell me, you're my friend that 
Uh, I have a bit about. <laughs> you always need a friend that's willing to call bullshit. You always mm-hmm. need a friend that will say bullshit. <laughs> you need somebody that's gonna tell you, Ben. No, it's not. No, that's it's not, not how it works. That's Don't not what it. you think it is. No. 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 Yeah, you need one friend that's willing yeah. to call bullshit. And you're you're my friend that calls bullshit. As I was a bullshitter well, today. Glad title I will claim. Yeah, yeah. the BSer Ben. Yeah, Ben's oh. BSer. Yeah, I don't know. I just it, it's frustrating. And if if this person somehow finds this podcast, I would love to sit down with you and actually talk about it. Yeah. Because at this point, we're in that weird, awkward limbo where you feel offended, and I feel like you may have misinterpreted what I had to say. Yeah. And I, the only way to solve that is to talk about it like two mature adults. But I just think that our system of social interaction today, um, especially with social media, has made that averse. But more back to your topic, I think that she may have been trying to use alcohol as a way to relieve her own anxiety. And yeah. that she may have been struggling to try to like, you know, she may have been feeling very anxious about just sitting down with me one on one because maybe I have an intimidating personality to her. Or that and she's so taking alcohol, the lead. Yeah, alcohol she's may, taking have, lead. may have been that medium that would have allowed her to feel like she could have effectively communicated. But I, you know, if we're really going to get critical from my standpoint, that's just not how I want to base my my conversations around. So it just wouldn't have been a good quality leading no. up. Anyway, then so you, then you start to leak into my territory where you look for people that really don't rely on drinking yeah. Yeah. where that's hard to find. That's really well, on hard college to find. campuses. It's hard to find. Yeah, yeah, I get crap about that a lot. But why don't you have a girlfriend? There's many reasons, yeah. mostly It'll to come. do with alcohol It'll and come. mostly to do with well, how people treat each other. With a college here. campus, you, you know, you have you're in you're in the pond, right? Yeah. And when you get put out into the quote unquote real world, you're in a fish tank, right? And when you're in a fish tank, there's only so many fish around you that you got to choose from. Yeah. When you're in a pond. There's a bigger You're, selection. There's so many fish. I could be hanging out with Nemo today and Dory tomorrow. It doesn't matter, right? But when you're out in the real world, I think people start to experience more loneliness. And not to say that they necessarily lower their standards, but they just start to understand more what's important to them rather than some of these very superficial things that I feel like a lot of college students want to yeah. look for. I think the word you're looking for is perspective. People look and see perspective a lot differently on college campuses because there's this great line college is the most selfish time of your life and rightfully so it's the time that you got to focus on yourself because this is the moment that you chose to go to this is the school you chose to go to rather to make more money to get the better job to live the better life and you wanted that and that's starting to kind of flee away you know obviously we can talk about skills forever and going towards welding and all that but when you're in college people are selfish when you're in college people are thinking about themselves and when you leave you start to get perspective of other people. And that's really when you start to learn, you know what? I've got a job, but there's five other people that were interviewing for that same job that have just the same credentials as me. Right. And any of them could have gotten it. I was lucky because the boss liked me the most. Yeah. And you start to get perspective well, and you tar- start to less, you be less critical of other people in first yeah, glances. Well, plus, plus within the, the context of maturity in our brains, like our brains are still developing currently. Oh, yeah. And with that, once once we're done developing it, it develops from the back forward. And once our forward fo- finally develops, that's our personality. And so once our brains are finally de- finished developing, we're, like, more confident in who we are than ever before. And so it's really interesting that we're going through such a time period of revolutionary development in our brain in the context of our personality in this context. Because moving forward from here, eventually we're going to reach a point where we're going to be 100% confident in who we are 
and we're just not there yet. And I think that plays a lot into it as well because there's a lot of insecurity, a lot of anxiety, a lot of weird stuff going on socially with people in a college age group context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of those topics that you could go till, yeah, you could go till the next morning. About. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of those things that I tend to get lost in thought about quite a bit about social drinking, social context, and social, just well, social. Yeah, again, it's, it's from your context, right? That that's yeah. so different, and other yeah. people see it differently. And I mean, here at St. John's and St. Ben's, I think the one that I find the most interesting is that when my brother went here, he lived the party house life. Yeah. Where he lived in St. Joseph and yeah. lived in a party yeah. house and had pe- parties every weekend. And my it's like, uncle lived in White House. Yeah, my, my brother lived in White House. Yep. Yeah, so there you go. But he was at St. Cloud when he went here, and he didn't last the semester. Oh, interesting. And then here I am, and he told me this. He was a rugby player. I love my uncle. I love him to death. He's m- one of my favorite people in the world, just f- from the variety of stories to the life perspective. and kind of pu- He's a pull-it-up-by-your-own-bootstrap kind of guy. I yeah. really admire that. And really gives me a drive to behave a certain way in class. But, oh, I lost my train of thought all of a sudden. <laughs> this, is, this is what happens, you know, when you go. The White House didn't last. Didn't last. But, you know, this is the thing with social drinking is it knocks some people off. Because my uncle's a great guy. He's got the right well, stuff. You're, you're but probably just lonely, man. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I'll say to you is that I, I know I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're hanging out. I'm glad we're doing stuff and you're always welcome Yeah. because I can understand how isolating that must be sometimes. Like Dan and Michael are gone today. Logan's running around. I'm the only one in this apartment. So I love the fact that we're hanging out right now. Yeah. Otherwise I was thinking about going home today. Yeah. Because no. honestly, like when there's not people around on a social environment on a Saturday night and I don't feel like going out, it's lonely. No, and I've talked to Dan about isolationists, people that isolate themselves, because I was that for almost three years at Superior. And that's why I became an RA, and I got the job right away, is because I told them, if you give me the job as an RA, this is what I'm going to target. I'm going to target people that isolate themselves, that live alone, or live with a roommate that's not there. Because that's the worst-case scenario, is that you just don't allow yourself an opportunity to develop as a person. Yeah. Socially, I got behind a lot when I made it to college. And it wasn't I think until Dan would probably say the same thing from his perspective. Yes, because once you're able, it's about finding your voice. It's about finding your place. It's about finding your niche yeah. that you're totally comfortable standing on your own soapbox and just preaching to yourself, just saying, you know, this is what I want to be. This is how I want to do you it. This find is your craft. You do. Yeah. The skill that most, you know, absorbs you. And talking to Dan about that, hopefully I'll get him on here pretty quick because, you know, it's Dan. I got to get Dan on here at some point, even though he's got more rants than you to talk about. I and know. it's more like angry grandpa. He's hilarious. He is funny. He is an a- old angry grandpa. He, he's an old man. I, I always said he, he reminds me of people from the 30s that were born in the tw- 2000s. <laughs> he just he looks like he should be wearing a high-necked collared shirt oh with a tie gosh. that's far too tight. He looks like um, Chris Farley's character from SNL, the motivational speaker. That's what he looks like to me. Like, that's what I think of. But... Socially, you develop very slowly when you isolate yourself. And once you isolate yourself, it's hard to get back into the vein. And I've had trouble with that here at St. John's where I'll jump back into calm. And calm's kind of clicky because it's about communicating. It's how you communicate. It's about social presence online and in person. And I'm a very in-person guy. I I want to be able to talk to you face-to-face. I want to be able to see you, understand you, and get a feel for who you are because I don't really buy what people sell on social media. Yeah. And I'm sure you, you'll understand that. No, so I get that because a lot. of that, 
It's not I, even I see I'm behind. I don't, like, buy it. It's just I, I don't. That's not how I want to know you. It's a sales pitch. It's a giant billboard. That's how I look at s- social media. Is it's a billboard, and whatever you want to show as yourself, you put on the billboard. It's a sale, and whether you buy it or not is a follow. Yeah. It's a simple way of thinking about a very large concept right. that we all are on. You know, we've got billions of people on Instagram, billions of people on Twitter. So that's my simple way of doing it. But it's a sale, and I. I wasn't a good salesman because I didn't have the same practices as everyone else because I put myself away because I was scared of those social those social drinking, all of that. Wrapping this up, obviously I'm fine now. I could be in a room with it. I've worked my way out of kind of that anxiety of being around it. Well, and, understand, and understanding how to be alone is an important quality to, to It's give. huge. Yeah. It's huge. I and learned learning a lot about to, that when I studied yeah. abroad because I was in a group of people that honestly I just didn't click with very well. No. And it was very depressing because yeah. it's like I'm in another country. I don't speak the language. Like, what's going on? My sister's going through that right now. And it's tough. Yeah, and it's also how you keep yourself sharp. Because you dull so quickly when you're back. And that's, I got into podcasting when that happened. Yeah. Is I realized I was slipping grade-wise because yeah. I was alone too much, and I wasn't keeping that social sharpness. Well, I think your goals for October are great. I'm glad you're doing well. We'll so. see what happens. We'll see. I'll probably that, be dead. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. If I'm not looking at somebody, they're probably dead. Uh, <laughs> kidding. But just, I guess that's kind of the last question. I know we can go on forever about we that. We could, but and we, we definitely won't. should expand farther in another time, but... We won't. It, it keeps it. me on my toes. <laughs> it, well, yeah, and it keeps me on my toes. I love conversation. I love bringing up with people. And here and comes the long Minnesota goodbye. Not quite. <laughs> but there's always something to have and always something to be said with most podcasts. Yeah, and man. I just want to keep talking to people, get people invited. So if you're listening to this, if you're a member of St. John's, St. Ben's, feel free to contact me at the Ben Griffin Show on Twitter. Otherwise, I have an Instagram page that we usually post weekly we're hoping to get that up pretty quick during this day just to date this we don't have it up quite yet but hopefully the staff will get it up pretty fast otherwise feel free to reach out to me in person um if you're not if you're not a local listener feel free again to reach out to me dm twitter's usually our number one just because of the it's the most general area where we get our news feel free to reach out tell me what you think this is a platform generated towards learning this is a platform generated through the st john's communication department which i'm studying through Jack as well as a student here at St. John's. So please take this with a grain of salt. We are students. We are trying to learn. I'm trying to communicate the best I can, which and is the, often and these are our own perspectives, right? Yeah. Obviously, we, we represent our communities to a certain extent, but yeah. we don't mean to make this out to be as we are speaking from the aspect no, of We're St. not John's. coming after anybody. We really just want to have general conversation. We want to learn more. We're curious people, God damn it. We want yeah. error. <laughs> <laughs> we want error. But uh, thanks for having me on, Ben. It's no, been a really I'm fun so happy time. Hopefully, people that were listening in actually had a good time with some of the material that I was going over. And I'm sure, I'm sure I'm we'll get have. Messages. I'm sure we'll have more <laughs> in the future, and I'm sure we'll. we'll oh yeah, we'll talk more. I, so. Yeah, you'll be returning here pretty soon, I believe. Oh. I think you're at the end of the month with the ward. I'm, I'm flattered. You'll be followed up. So, yep. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Say bye, Jack. Okay, bye. <laughs> thank you, guys, for listening. Have a nice day.